to talk. No one wants to hurt you. Do you understand? We are willing to talk. There's no more need for violence. There's no way out except by talking. Do you understand? No one wants to hurt you. We want to help. Just a little more time, we can get control of the situation. What control? Christmas kids and heroes, as we welcome each and every one to a very special Christmas edition of the Film Effect Podcast, bringing deep dives, top fives, and good vibes with each and every episode, all of course for the Film Effect archives. On this edition of the podcast, crime is a disease, and we're going to be talking about its cure, because if Die Hard is suddenly at top of everyone's favorite Christmas films list, then we're here to remind everyone of another Christmas set action flick right out of the same era, and what, the, what an era it was otherwise known as the canon heir to some of us. And with that, I'm Ed. I'm Justin. And this is Cobra. Society is breeding a new kind of criminal. It's also breeding a new kind of cop. Police detective Marion Cobra Cobretti investigates a string of violent crimes while also protecting a witness targeted by the perpetrators. To be frank, 
Cobra Walk so movies like Die Hard could run. And don't you dare forget about your roots either, because Cobra's more of an influential film than you think. Why else were other high-profile action films that followed Cobra set around Christmas? Coincidence? I mean, even though Cobra doesn't necessarily celebrate or really even acknowledge the holiday like other films such as Lethal Weapon or the aforementioned Die Hard do, its presence on screen is still on heavy display in the form of decorations or background music, especially during the film's opening hostage situation at the grocery store. Now, of course, I'm being facetious. Everybody calm down. But seriously, the fact that it's set during the Christmas season is reason enough for us to give it the film effect treatment on this holiday episode, but in all actuality, it's also a film that's long overdue for this sort of treatment. Cobra's always been a film that I watch for a good time because of its ridiculousness and over-the-top dialogue in situations that would never, ever fucking happen in the real world. I watch this movie to have fun. It's a movie I almost love, but there's stuff, which we'll get into, that reframe it from falling into that category. I really like it, though. It's still a higher-tiered 80 film than a lot of other stuff that come out of the decade. It's the most canon film not under the official canon films label, even though it's produced by studio heads. Man... Is it Menaheim? Menahem? Menahem? That's it. What is it? Menachem. Menachem. Wow, I would have never pronounced it like that. Menachem Gollum and Yoram Globus. But loosely based on the novel, A Running Duck by Paula Gosling, which was later published as Fair Game, which was also technically the... Did you know about this Fair Game from 95, the Cindy Crawford uh, film with uh, William Baldwin? was based read, off the same novel as this. Yeah, I read about that today. I never knew that before. Today I was doing some reading on this just out of curiosity. Like, this is a movie I've seen at least 20 times, but, like, I don't mm-hmm. know anything about it other than the movie itself. Like, any kind of production stories, if there are any, or, like, that that sort of association that, it, you know, the novel it came from. Um, I didn't know any of that until today. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. I saw that, you know. It, ha- it, it has ties to two films, actually. Fair Game. Yeah. And Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, right, right. Well, that Crazy. story, I knew, you know, that Stallone was originally supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it didn't work. And But I didn't realize... He was Axel. He that... signed on to be Axel Foley. Yeah. And then, just he like this movie... He didn't want to be movie, a comedy, though. He, exactly. He did a whole rewrite of the script, which the studio rejected. And basically, the, uh, the, the bulk of those ideas were later rolled into this screenplay and it's funny that like he didn't want it to be a comedy because this cobra is one of the funniest fucking movies i've ever seen in my life (laughs) so it's like you know that makes it even funnier to me like it's basically his beverly hills cop script like you know with all the jokes taken out of the other one and and this Mm -hmm. in my opinion is actually funnier than beverly hills cop so Ooh. I love me some Beverly Hills Cop. I, I like do. Beverly Hills Cop. I don't. I don't love it. I, I did when I was I a love. kid. I did when I was a kid, and then as an adult, I'm like, mm, it's okay. Yeah, I love two, or I, I I love two, but I love one also. I love the I love the first two equally. I'm a big fan of Part Three too. I know it's the most hated fucking <laughs> yeah. movie ever, but part is a I, good I, I dig it. I have fun with Part Three. <laughs> Wally World, come on now, not Wally World, uh, Wonder World. <laughs> Wally World's another movie. Anyway, let's talk about the film in the form of our first-time viewings. Oh, my goodness. I remember the first time I saw that picture. I thought it was just wonderful. Um, I actually can talk about 
my first time seeing this, funny enough, and it's, it's, it, it dates back to a time which I should not have remembered because it was so far back in, like, the 80s when I was, like, four or five years old. My Aunt Deb worked at a video store, like, one of those, like, Errol's video-type joints, like, not so corporate, but, like... Like a local chain, like, Errol, you yeah. know, it's a guy from around here. Yeah, exactly. So it, was, it, was, it was down off of North Point Boulevard back yeah. in the day, and... So she had a big movie collection. She's probably one of the first people I knew that had a movie collection that I would later adapt having on my own now. Um, and I remember watching this in her basement along with House 2, the second story. <laughs> and it would it would become a thing whenever we would go there. It would like swim in her built-in pool in the backyard and then hang out in the basement watching Cobra. <laughs> Hellraiser and House 2 the second story so yeah I would if, if I had to pinpoint a year I'd, I'd probably have to say like 89 90 not that long after it came out um probably a few years after it was released the the late 90s or, or late 80s early 90s but yeah I, I I distinctly remember watching this for the first time at my Aunt Deb's in her basement so how about you it, it had to be like as soon as it came out on home video. I know I didn't see it in the theaters. Um, so, yeah, pretty, I'm, you know. No as soon golden as you could, ring for you? No, it wasn't a golden ring movie, not this one. It's, you know, as soon as I could rent it, I'm sure I did, because uh, I love Stallone movies. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering why I didn't get to the theater to see this one. I don't know. Um, I think maybe it didn't look that great from the previews, and I just wasn't, you know, I was like, I'll wait that one out, and ended up loving right. it. So yeah, I don't. So what, it came out in '86, right? What mm -hmm. what part of '86? Earlier, May, of the year. mid. So it probably came out before the end of the year. So either late '86 or early '87. Well, let's talk about the film in the form of box office numbers. Let's go to box office receipts. Get receipts. Jacobo had its world premiere on May 21st of 86 at the Grauman's Chinese Theater in Hollywood, California, before being released on May 23rd, 1986 from Warner Brothers. Opened up across 2,131 screens, opening weekend first place, $12.6 million. Second weekend dropped off 40.6% to $7.5 still first place. Total gross overall, all right. 49 million against a 25 million dollar budget now if you go to there's a couple of conflicting sites that offer conflicting numbers um a lot of the sites report 49 and some change but then even box office mojo which is a highly reputable site is saying that the the, the, the gross for this film was or not 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 um Box Office Mojo. Box Office Mojo is saying $49 million. But Wikipedia and By the Numbers, which is also a reputable site, are saying that this film grossed $160 million. It's claiming that it had it grossed like $115 or something like that. Like over $100 million over, over internationally, which yeah. I, I'm calling bullshit on. Yeah, I saw Ain't that no on way there. this fucking movie made 100, over $100 million overseas in the mid-80s. It's no way. I saw that on Wikipedia too. And like, I, I've, I've kind of lost interest in box office number type stuff, so I didn't look any further than Wikipedia. But, And I saw both of those numbers. I was like, so which one is it? And then I was like, oh, the 100 and some must be uh, international. 
special, but that's fucking blockbuster status. There would have been. It is. There's no way this two, fucking movie grossed $160 million. It ain't happening. Yeah, no way. Yeah, no. That's like the equivalent of like 700, you know, whatever. That's like, like that's literally like about $400,000 today. This fucking movie is. That. No. No, I'm calling bullshit on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it still made good money for what it was, but it's still like it it didn't make no fucking 160. I wish it made that so there would have been sequels, you know? Right, 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 right. So, anyway, that's it's it's still wild. All right, let's let's go to our pre-dive top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation Ruling the Nation. Let's do favorite 80s Stallone films. Top five favorite 80s Stallone films. Uh, I don't have an honorable mention. Mine is just a lean five-film breakdown. Number five, Rocky IV. Now, I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I'm not the world's biggest Rocky fan. However, I'd be remiss if I didn't put a Rocky film on this list. And if I'm going down the Rocky road, then, hey, look at that Rocky road, then it's got to be four. I mean, four is the one that I probably have seen the most. It's the one that I probably know the most. So... Yeah, Rocky Four is my number five. Yeah, when you told me this was the category, my first thought was, "Oh, that's going to be easy." And then, as I like just pulled up his um, his IMDb page just to make sure I wasn't missing anything, like I forgot about like four or five things, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is going to be a lot tougher than I thought." And like things moved around in position. I wonder where you have Rhinestone. All right, well, we'll get to that. Um, I do have three honorable mentions. Um, oh shit! All right. Yeah. Um, so there is victory from uh, I believe it's '81 with Michael Caine mm-hmm. and Pele, uh, yeah. Max von Sydow, uh, soccer team in the. Uh, I had a feeling you were going to put that movie on the list. I it's, knew it. This is it's times like this when I miss Sean because Sean would totally be on board with with my next two with it. So victory and Nighthawks with uh, Billy D. Williams. Sean would be so on board with in either one of these could probably made his top five. Um, they were super TV movies. So like when I lived in the city, we didn't have we didn't have cable and uh, I probably would have saw these in 81 or 82. And um, I always put Nighthawks on my honorable mentions, but I've yeah, only seen Nighthawks it one time. Just, it's not great, but it's, it's yeah. just a fun little 80s like him and Rucker Hauer. Yeah. And Billy D. Williams. Yeah I'm, yeah. I'm a big Nighthawks fan. So victory Nighthawks and over the top. Um, that at first made my top five, and then I remembered one that I'd forgotten. I was like, and that bumped over the top out. Um, so my number five, you mentioned it, is Rhinestone. <laughs> Have you ever seen Rhinestone? No. <laughs> you gotta watch it. This is a Stallone and Dolly Parton. <laughs> it's so great. And Ron Liebman. Oh, oh fuck so off! Good. Like it, Bob Clark directed of Porky's and uh, Black. Bob Christmas Clark Green. directed it. Bob Clark directed. Oh, now I gotta see this fuckery. I told you. It's wow. Great. <laughs> Sold. Yeah, it, it's like it, don't get me wrong. It's a terrible movie, but it's so much fun. Like I, you know, I, 
you and I don't share this same gene one hundred percent. Like, I like right. like silly eighties and seventies shit like that in a way. Oh, no. I know that. Yeah. So, <laughs> you may not find it as funny as I do, but yeah, Rhinestone is my number five. All right. Uh, number four for me is Rambo First Blood Part Two. I mean, it, it's just it's fucking Rambo cranked up by a thousand. Like you watch First Blood. And then you immediately watch First Blood Part Two. It's like night and day. You what? You're going from like like a melodrama with action esque elements to naturalistic, a full over the fucking top missiles <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> Vietnam warfare. Holy <laughs> shit, dude! It's it's the wildest jump from one movie to another. Uh, but for that reason, I, it's 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 making the list. Number four is Rambo Part Two. Yeah, th- my number four. This surprised me because, and this was originally higher on the list, and then I, I ended up bumping it down a few. Oh, oh excuse me. So uh, it, I'm combining, I'm cheating, I'm doing First Blood and Rambo. It's like a double feature. Um, okay. I, I love both of those movies, and you know, for different reasons that you, you pointed out, like uh, yeah. The first one, First Blood, feels sort of like a holdover from the, you know, the, like a late 70s movie. It, you know, 81 still had that 70s feel to it a little bit. Yeah. Just, you know, like a downbeat movie. Um, but still entertaining to watch. You know, it, it, there's enough action beats to it that it's, you know, it's just a well done movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, Rambo just... I remember just watching what it. happened oh my god i love that movie so much as a kid like i was like holy shit like i always liked first blood as a kid but didn't love it like i've come to appreciate it more as an adult and oh, right. um and but i saw rambo and it like fucking blew my wig back i was like holy <laughs> shit I, I used to watch that movie all the time so uh yeah and actually it's not even my favorite rambo movie i love the fourth one the best that, that movie is fucking batshit so yeah. um but yeah, out of the '80s, yeah, the first two. I'm not not the biggest fan of Part Three. It's okay, but no one is. I, yeah, I could leave that one out. Carolwood Smith couldn't even say that movie. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh shit! Which brings us to number three, and my number three is Tango in Cash, a movie I adore. Tango in Cash is great. Um, yeah, it's that's a movie I I, I I remember watching when it first came out on video, watching it with my uncle. Um but that's it's that's it's fun. I love the I you know what? I'm not even gonna say I love the chemistry between Kurt Russell and and Stallone because there's not really much chemistry between the two of them. And I think that's what <laughs> makes the film so unique is that are fucking broad differences. Um but yeah, it's it's a it, it still makes me laugh. I I love the bit where Stallone gets out the line. Rambo is a pussy. <laughs> um, you know how meta. But Jack Pounce is the villain. You know, you could do or give or take Terry Hatcher to whatever. But because of her, we get the scene with with Kurt Russell and drag, which is <laughs> funny. But yeah, uh, oh and um, uh, there's a. Michael J. Pallard shows up uh, in, in his fucking awkward, weird. Do it. I, 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 Same thing I he love... did in every '80s movie. Exactly, <laughs> being awkward, it's great. So yeah, um, 
Brian Madrid. James. Tango and Cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuck yeah, Brian you wanker. Fucking wanker. I love saying that <laughs> from that movie. Oh, uh, yeah. Tango and Cash, though. Number three. Uh, my number three, and it shocked me because I thought this would obviously be higher, but it's not. Uh, Rocky, and again, I'm cheating. Rocky's three and four. Um, they're interchangeable for me. They're both Fair enough. extremely silly movies. Um, fun to watch for their own reasons. If I had to choose, I probably would lean more towards four just because it seems, it feels a little leaner. And I think the run, you know, I don't, I, I don't know off the top of my head. The runtime might be a little shorter. Like it's just a more compact movie. Um, so yeah, but I, I love the both of those movies. These, these, you know, all these Stallone movies in the eighties were very big parts of my childhood. So I have a fondness for almost all of them. Yeah. Okay. Now the first Rocky is my favorite because the first Rocky is just, it's, you know, it's like an, an art picture. It's like, I love that movie and it, I, I know a lot of people probably wouldn't categorize it that way, but I just think it's a really beautiful, like if there was never any sequels, that movie would stand, you know, it would be, um, I think, well, I, I, whatever. It would just be very, I know what it, you're trying to say. Yeah. It, it's well regarded, but I think it would be even more well regarded if it, none of the sequels happened. I think it would right. be considered just one of the all timers. If it was but, a standalone um, film, it yeah. would be higher regarded. But having said that, I'm glad we got all the sequels because I, I like most of them. Um, three and four in the 80s are they're awesome. All right, then. Uh, number two, Cobra. We're about to talk about it. But I, I, I will mention, I, I was should have mentioned it um, from my last pick, but this and Tango and Cash for me are neck and neck because it, it, you could easily substitute one for the other and it, it, it would make a lick of difference. Um, that said, Cobra's number two. Um, I, I, we're about to talk about it, so fuck it. Have patience. Uh, my number two is also Cobra. Um, this, I thought, was going to be number four originally. And then I rewatched it last night. And I was like, holy shit, I have like a whole new appreciation for this. So, yeah, it like shockingly made its way up to number two. Cool. All right. Uh, number one is First Blood. Uh, I, I think with First Blood, I first watched it a couple years, two or three years ago. And I remember immediately texting Sean after watching it because... That whole bit at the end with the monologue, yeah, I I think Stallone's putting on an acting clinic, and I, I it's it's crazy to say coming from Sylvester Stallone of all fucking people, but I I just think the whole finale of that film works, and his monologue is just an all timer for me. It, it it was an instant all timer as soon as I watched it a couple years ago for the first time. I was like, this is just incredible acting right here a truly great performance um and i hadn't seen that from him again until funny enough recently we're at it with copland i think that's one of his greatest performances bar none um along with first blood so but that was a 90s film and we're talking 80s so first blood it's my number one yeah, I can't argue with that. Like, 
as we're talking more about Rambo and First Blood, I think I would bump them back up to three and drop Rocky three and four down to fourth place. But like I said, they're interchangeable. Right. Um, as is my number one and two. Um, my number one is Tango and Cash. <laughs> and that shocked me. I did not think it was going to be I'm shocked this actually made your list. I didn't think oh, you were a Tango and Cash fan. I love Tango and Cash. I nice. Love I love everything about it. Um, that one I actually did see in the theater, and I, I fucking loved it then. I was like, that was actually kind of great. Um, you know, Kurt Russell, it's one of my favorite Kurt Russell performances. Stallone is actually very bad in it, but that makes yeah. it funny. Like, right. that just makes it even better than if he was good in it. So it's like he's trying to be funny, and like he just doesn't have that natural ability. So, um, which ends up being very funny in and of itself. Same thing with right, Oscar. Right. I'm a big fan of Oscar. That's like such a cringy movie, but I fucking never love seen that Oscar. Movie. <laughs> I know by John it. Landis. <laughs> Landis did that. Yes. You know, I'm finding out more and more recently that John Landis has done a lot of shit. <laughs> uh, it's one of my favorite Landis movies. Don't say that. Um, I, I, I said, it was yeah, love. but anyway, I, I feel like I've 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 been saying, holy shit, John Landis directed that a lot lately. Yeah, so. he's got a, a lot of those that like kind of slip by. Um, but yeah, Tango and Cash, fun movie. If it's not Tango, yeah. it's Cash. Tango, Cash. And, and Jack Pounce is just so over the top. It's yeah, great. everything about that movie. It's it's one of the most ridiculous movies I've ever seen in my life. There's not one second of that movie that reflects real, actual life, and like that's why it's so good. Like it's just. Fucking. James Hong, Robert Zadar, the whole bit with his <laughs> like his nose and shit. Yeah, it's amazing. I love it. That is. It is. Oh man. And great performance by Jeffrey Lewis too. Rest in peace. All yeah. right. Uh, let's see where we are here. Got to get to my fucking itinerary here. All right, let's get to the film effect breakdown. Hello again, friends. This is the Film Effect Podcast. Good morning, Film Effect. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the game right there. That's World War Three. Fucking hot recording right now. I literally never wanted to punch movie in its face more than I have last night. Definitely worth your time. It's it's definitely worth revisiting. Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, uh, Dorothy, we're not in Oakland anymore. It's in 4K, buddy. Check it out. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Starting with cast and crew rundown. So, of course, Stallone, the Italian stallion himself, is Lieutenant Marion Cobra Cobretti. Um, where to begin with this? <laughs> it It's, if you can just put a, put aside, like, his, just the debauchery of all the behind-the-scenes shit, because which we'll get into, like, he didn't make production easy for some people. <laughs> uh, it's the fun role. It's, 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 he's just very, very full of himself, and that comes out on screen, but I don't care. It, I still in, in, enjoy him in this. Um, you know, it's for the same reason I just love this film in general. Brigitte Nielsen as Ingrid is this, I guess, Love interest, you can call her whatever you want to call her. The the uh, damsel in distress. See, they were dating at the time, so that's why she got this role. Let's just call a spade a spade. Well, yeah, they had already, but they had worked together on Rocky Four by this point. So that's right. Yeah, I keep on thinking Rocky Four came out in eighty in the late eighties for some reason. Mm-mm, no, 
But that was 85. Yeah. Um, they might have even been married by this point. I think they were. Yeah. And then they were probably divorced by the time this came out on video. <laughs> it all happened very quickly. <laughs> it was so quickly. Um, Randy Santoni, his partner in crime, Tony Gonzalez. I love their chemistry. Now we could talk chemistry of these two. Uh, like I, I, I buy these two as friends. Like as I know, Cobra, uh, Stallone's going for like you know um, the the loner type. But if he's gonna have a best friend or a partner in a crime, then I'm I'm buying Gonzalez totally. Everything that transpires on screen, whenever they're two, you know, together, um, it's it's great stuff. You know, they totally are viable as buddies, even though he's more of a loner type. Um, Andrew Robinson is just being Andrew Robinson. Let's just be honest here. Um, he plays an asshole cop, and I feel like in a lot of stuff. Am I wrong? No, yeah, I, I feel, and, and you know what? It could be that it, maybe he didn't. Was he? Was he an asshole cop? Like I feel like he was, but now I'm trying to think. What else was he? This char- did he play this character in? I mean, I know he's been a cop in like a bunch of stuff, as like at least like the sheriff type. Um, as he got older, at in like the '90s and all, but. He's no, a guy I know I've was, seen in a bunch of stuff. Because he was the killer in Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry, right. That's the only other thing I can remember him in is Dirty Harry in this. But I know I've seen him in at least five other things, probably a hundred. Yeah, of course, Hellraiser, things. but that's not, not yeah, the see, same. I've, I've only seen no, that No, I'm once pulling his shit up ago. here. No. I, you know, it's it's one of the instances where I feel like he plays his character a lot, even though I'm looking at his filmography, and no, nothing else right. resembles that's this role at thinking. all. yeah. Nothing else. <laughs> he just played it Whoops. so. He just so played it in this movie that you feel like you've seen. And it, it oh, is kind of like right. a stock character. Like it, all the 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 all the uh, the police guys that aren't Stallone or um, Rennie Santoni are all just like this very stock. You've seen him a hundred times before. That's why you feel like you've seen uh, Andrew Robinson in that role a hundred times before. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, he did a lot of direct-to-video sequels in the 90s. Yeah, I can well, see not, that. Well, well, Child's Play 3 was theatrical, but still, my point is, you know. And Pumpkinhead 2 was the other film that I knew he was the sheriff in. So maybe that was another one-time instance. Whoops. <laughs> uh, we could talk about Brian Thompson, though, as the Night Slasher. Uh, this is the go-to. This is, like, the role that I know him from, even though he's been a, been a lot of other stuff that... Um, I'd rather not talk about Mortal Kombat, but uh, no, this <laughs> this this role here um, is what I know him from. Um, other than his little two minutes in the Terminator, if it's even that long, he's just got one of them faces, man. He's yeah. he's he's Brian Thompson, you know. He's got this look that this this very distinctive look. He's got like this like long jaw, like these squinty eyes and like he's got this distinctive voice this this baritone-esque voice that my entire life i've like ever since seeing this movie i've walked around the house just at random time like i don't do it all the time i'm not a psychopath but like just randomly i'll go pig pig, pig. 
<laughs> I knew you were going to say that. For just no reason whatsoever, it'll pop into my head, and I got to say it out loud when I hear it. Like, I mean, Fright I Night Part so. 2, that's the other movie I remember him from when I was a kid. That's it. <laughs> he was the fucking dude I was obsessed with eating bugs throughout the movie. But yeah, um, I know more recently he was in that tragedy of Macbeth that... Uh, Joel Cohen did. Was he in that? I don't remember him being. Yeah, in he that. was in it. I, I've never seen it. I just know that he uh, had like a, a minor role, mm-hmm. um, kind of like a grand comeback. Even though I know he he, he was on that nine one one Fox show for a second. I feel like he's been a consistently a working actor pretty much his entire. He you has. Know. It seems it's like he's always popping up, and I always like seeing him. I but this is a movie. Whenever I see him pop up in something else, I'm like, oh, it's fucking. Dude from uh, and Joe Dirt, Buffalo Bob. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But no, I mean, you can, looking at his filmography, like television definitely got him through the 90s and alts, you know. Uh, yeah, good for him. Yeah. And all the floors in this too. And then I was, I was one of the one of the things I found funny that I was reading. I don't know if you were going to bring this up. You talked about some of the behind the scenes stuff. Apparently, like. He was like really racking his brain trying to develop a character for this guy. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> he went to he was and he went Stallone's to Stallone. Reaction like, hole is very. <laughs> what's that? I, I I was gonna say like what you're about to like he went to Stallone with <laughs> Stallone's yeah, like Stallone reaction like, to it. Yeah, like don't overthink it, dude. Like, right. You're, just, you're barely gonna say anything. You're gonna stare at people, and that's gonna be it. I'm gonna throw you on a hook. Uh, Art Lafleur is the character actor who I've always just loved popping up in movies, <laughs> and he plays such the standard screamish. Yep. Actually, he alternates. He's either one moment he's kissing Cobra's ass like unbelievably, or he's chewing him out. Like there's no in between. It's he's trying. To, it's like you want to recommend him or reprimand him, or you want to kiss his ass. Which one is it? <laughs> Call it's such Cobra. a funny performance. Like just like it's a funny character. It wasn't. You know, it's not his fault. Like. We'll get into the script, but it just it wasn't a character for, with much to do. But I love it nonetheless. I love he's one of my favorite characters in the movie. Yeah, he's one of my favorite character actors. Always yeah. has been from the the Sandlot to the Blob and everything in between. He was in the film. The was, oh, he's the fa- he Shawnee Smith's father. Is he? I don't remember. Him he's being a, the head, I just like watched the, that the, not too long ago, too. He's like the head pharmacist. Because huh. um, oh, that whole right. ribbed bit, the yes. condoms. Right, right, right. Ribbed. Yep. Now yeah, I'm picturing that's yep. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he was also in a movie that I've talked, I've, I've brought this up on the podcast before to Corey. And Corey, like, his reaction to me was like, "What the fuck are you talking about? This is a real movie." <laughs> Jack the Bear, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, seen the, Jack Danny the Bear. DeVito directed it. DeVito, yes. Yeah, I don't. I'm, I've never Sin- seen it. It was my but introduction I to Gary Sinise, actually. That movie. Yeah, I never saw it, but I do. I, you know, I remember oh. it. Man, a very young Renee uh, 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 Reese Witherspoon is in it. Huh. Yeah, it's a good movie. Anywho, um, who are we talking about? Oh, the floor. And uh, two more names. One, Marco Rodriguez. He shows up in the beginning as the supermarket killer. Um, he's another character actor. Everything from, like, The Crow. 
he was in Amanda Pot with Vin Diesel. He was also in Oh Jesus Christ, he's been in so many fucking so many movies. Maniac Cop Two, dude, it's funny. Maniac Cop Two, he plays in a, the exact same role as this guy. In the <laughs> beginning, he holds up a supermarket, and instead of Cobra coming in and killing him, it's fucking Robert Zadar's Maniac Cop. <laughs> it's like an identical fucking role. I feel like, like he's played that guy a lot, but it could just be me remembering him from this, you know. Like it's it, the same reason we remember Andrew Robinson as an <laughs> right. asshole detective. Like this movie really played made it once. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. Um, I always think of him this and from Seinfeld when he was one of the guys rolling the crepes at the end. He was one of the uh, the Cubans that um, Kramer brought brought over <laughs> to roll cigars, and he ended up rolling crepes at the end of the episode. So, yeah, I I always like seeing him pop up and stuff. Oh, me too. And recently, he was a bartender in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, on the um in, in one of uh, Dalton's movies. Uh, I, I think really, it was yeah, the one I, with the in the bar and the, yeah, in the with western Timmy set. Oliphant. Yeah, yeah, Oliphant. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And he was a asshole federale agent and um, due date, which I think is a funny ass underrated I never film. Saw it. Um, yeah, he he play, he play, you know he's just like an actor who pops up in a lot of stuff. Yeah. Like I said. I'm, we can sit here all day and recite his roles. There's a lot of them. But this and Torres from The Crow are the two roles that I remember him from, like, the most. Um, and David Rash. I had to bring him up, finally. <laughs> last but not least. Huh? Sledgehammer. That's what I always think of him from. That's before your time. Oh, the cop show. Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, don't yeah, remember yeah. Sledgehammer. I used to love Sledgehammer. This and what was it called? Um... No, it wasn't in that. I thought, for whatever reason, I, I remember, always remember, I, I thought I remembered him being in Who's Harry Crumb, but no, apparently he wasn't in that movie. Then what other film was it that I remember him from growing up as a kid? I'm looking at his filmography right now, and I just, I can't, I mean, recently he's on Succession, and he's Yeah, great. I know I've seen him in stuff throughout the years. I just, Sledgehammer's always the first thing that sticks out in my mind when I think of him. Yeah, for me, it was this and... Uh, oh, Delirious. That It was a John Candy film, but it there wasn't the one that I was thinking of. Yeah. It was another one. But anywho, um, yeah, he's like... I don't know if like his shit was trimmed or what it was in this movie, but like he's in this long enough to say, hey, hi, hello, how you doing? And then, boom, he is out. Exit stage left. David Rash. <laughs> Oh, so anywho, um, let's talk about production history, and I'll explain how the film came to be. So, Sylvester Saloon was signed on to play the lead in a little-known film called Beverly Hills Cop. So he decided to rewrite the script almost completely once he signed on, removing nearly all the comedic aspects and turning it into a straight-up action film that he felt was better suited for him. Paramount read the script and rejected it. The proposed action scenes would have increased the budget far beyond what they had planned. Stallone later channeled his ideas for it into an original script. When Stallone left Beverly Hills Cop, Eddie Murphy signed on, and we all know the rest, which is history. The novel A Running Duck by Paula Gosling was cited as source material, enough so that she had received a screen credit for this film. A Running Duck would be later retitled to Fair Game after the film came out in the mid-90s. Sylvester Stallone's earlier draft of the script contained many differences from later drafts and the final film. These included the opening shootout taking place inside of a movie theater instead of the supermarket, during which many people would have been killed. 
Cobra mentioning how he had a girlfriend who was killed by a psychopath he was trying to catch. An additional nighttime action sequence on a boat where Cobra and Ingrid are hiding and are attacked by the Night Slasher's cultists, with Cobra and Gonzalez managing to kill them all off. And a different ending, in which Monty, revealed to be the actual leader of the New World, attempts to kill Ingrid at the last second before being killed by Cobretti. Brian Thompson auditioned seven times before he was hired. On the fourth audition, he met Stallone, who thought that Thompson was too nice to play the slasher. After a screen test, he immediately got the job. Also, in the original script, Night Slasher was called Abaddon, possibly after the Angel of the Abyss from the Bible. He repeatedly sought Stallone's advice about how to play the Night Slasher, including questions about his background and personal motivations, but Stallone showed no interest in the subject and told Thompson that the character was simply evil. In an unfortunate surprise for Thompson, after filming was completed, director Cosmatos unexpectedly told him, you could have been good if you had listened to me. Stallone acknowledged Dirty Harry as an influence, and Cobra would reunite two actors from said film, Rennie Santoni and Andy Robinson. Originally, Cobra was supposed to be filmed in Seattle, climaxing with a motorcycle chase on a ferry between two islands, even though everything was prepped to start filming the final theatrical version of the scene at night. Stallone demanded the ending be changed because of the mosquito problem at the time, which would have had night which would have made nighttime filming very difficult to endure. And finally, the supporting cast and extras were forbidden from talking to Stallone on set. Jesus. Alright, let's break this baby down, shall we? So opening credits immediately and it got me thinking watching it this particular time that they're in these bold Egyptian the, the, the credits are in this bold Egyptian font and it reminds me a lot of like classic canon films from that era I feel like a lot of these movies all had the same Egyptian font bold opening credits like this another canon film was uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 which have identical opening credit fonts it's it's this maybe it was a canon thing um yeah, it's I, I got heard, me thinking for a sec. That's the first thing. I, I I didn't have that exact note, but I had beautiful red on black credits. Like I, I love the opening yeah. credits for this movie. Yeah, yeah. This is like you know, this isn't a canon movie, but it feels like a canon movie in every way. And it's, I think it's better than a lot of the canon movies that it's kind of doing the I, same thing. I as. agree. Yeah, it's the most unofficial canon movie ever. <laughs> yeah. And you can't start the adrenaline rush without an opening voiceover to kick off the mayhem. <laughs> Along with the barrel of a gun firing off in front of the camera to reveal the title card. In America, there's a burglary every 11 seconds, an armed robbery every 65 seconds. He's just spouting out all these fucking these Crime statistics stats, and yeah. shit. And it's like quite the statistic. I wonder what it is today, though. But yeah, so I like watching it. I was like, that's like immediately is like, oh, like, you know, Stallone's a conservative guy politically. So it's like, you know, like he, he won the Vietnam War in Rambo. He went back and won that for us. And then in Rocky Four, he won the Cold War. Yeah. And then Cobra, I think, was supposed to be like him fighting crime, you know, the America's crime. crime epic. Right. The war on crime. And, he's um, a one-man army in all these movies, isn't he? <laughs> right. And it's so funny though. Like I noticed, like the the poly, like so on the surface, it's very conservative, but the, like it flips back and forth throughout the movie in such a funny way. Um, 
but yeah like right off the bat it's you know it's like we talked about with red dawn like with uh uh milius like just throwing his right wing tendencies into it that's what stallone does right. here and it's like i love it for that i think it's so like a lot of it's so funny um you know like it, to scare people like if you see you, know, you walk out your front door you're gonna get killed it's that, that's yeah. basically what it's saying and it's like such a funny thing and we're living Crime's through get you. like the same thing right now you know you watch fox news that's the exact same shit they're saying on there so yep um you know times don't change all that much sometimes <laughs> uh so we get our first glimpse of this axe clanking cult it's like a lot of red. People. <laughs> it's like a lot. They, they got people in business suits in this crowd. They got cops. The fucking mailman was clanking an axe in one shot. And see, this scene is where I'm like, I mean, the whole movie, but watching it again last night, I'm like, oh my god! Like, if we had got to see Cobra Part Two, it could have <laughs> been like. I usually don't like when sequels carry over, like the, the storyline. Like, I, I want like a a movie like this to just be like each one is an interchange like its own um right a standalone you know, right a standalone but in this case i wouldn't mind if it bled over like okay so he, he wiped out this leg of the cult but then you There's still gotta have be the, more cult members it's right, so fucking ginormous the businessmen and the mailmen the deal with, like, yeah you mean to tell me after brian thompson gets you know uh, incinerated yeah, that like it. the cult just goes away <laughs> right. like oh that's it duty's done Part two would have been like him taking no. on yuppies and like, you know, it would have been right. like ni 1988 or 89. It would have been Bill him Gates yuppies. clanking an axe up there. <laughs> right. And then <laughs> Stallone would have been taking down the yuppies who were like, who were just being too greedy. It would have, it would have right. been fucking great. Like, I'm so mad we didn't get part two. I'm here to deliver my own medicine. Perk. There's a lot of red and a lot of sweat in this movie. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> It is it's a very sweaty movie. I wrote that down. And then we got like a blink and you'll miss it fisheye lens shot of a bike. A guy on a bike riding. It's, it's Marco Rodriguez going to the fucking grocery store. But all the times I've seen this film, and I'm talking over over 25. <laughs> I've never noticed the fucking fisheye lens shot before. And there's two of them. Blink no, there's about it. eight of them in this movie. Like I was, Oh, Jesus. Yeah, I rewatched it. I saw two. two. And like, I was you, like. No, no, there's a bunch of it's throughout the whole movie. Like so Like what's the whole what's the deal with fish islands? Like I thought I, that was a rap video thing that the Beastie Boys thought of. Oh, I love it. It's it, it's so like so I was watching and the, like you, this is a movie I've seen at least twenty times, if not. Oh more. yeah. And um and it was like watching it for the first time last night. Oh and I granted I haven't watched it start to finish in a few years, but I, I've I seen it a bunch of times before. I, the cinematography in general, which I'm, I'm going to point out probably throughout this whole thing, so you might as well kick it off now. Rick Waite. Um, yep. And I went back and looked. I'm like, he's done a bunch of my favorite, like, you know, some of my favorite genre movies. He did the best Seagal movies. He did On Deadly Ground, Out for Justice, Mark for Death. He did fucking Red Dawn. He did fucking 48 Hours. He did The Long Riders. Like, this guy kicks ass. He's an underrated fucking DP. And um, I think most of the reason why this movie is so good is because of how it looks. I agree with that. This film does look good as shit. Because everything else about it, and, you know, we'll expand on this throughout the, the, as we talk, 
everything else about it is just fucking mediocre at best. Like, you know, the, not everything else. I shouldn't say that. The script. The script is terrible. But it gets by on the charisma of the performances <laughs> and just how fucking beautiful it looks. Like, you know, it, it elevates it in my mind. I mean, I forgot to mention the uh, we, we we did the cast and crew rundown. We forgot to do the fucking crew part. So yeah, Stallone crew. wrote this movie. We should we haven't acknowledged that yet. The writer of this movie is Sir Sylvester Stallone himself. God bless. He got a screenplay credit based on Paula Cosling's Fair Game. And yeah, man, this script is rough. <laughs> it's it's a lot of shit that you can tell he just wrote, and he was probably thinking to himself. Yeah, this is good. This is pretty good. Probably gonna get an Academy Award credit or something. Like, no, dude. Like this, it's it's not. This shit's not driving. Like, I'm I'm in this film for the long haul because I fucking love what's on screen. I'm not liking what I'm hearing though. Like, <laughs> and from yeah. what I read today, which I never knew, there was like, it was originally over two hours long. It was like two oh, yeah. hours. Oh yeah. Oh. And I got a lot of the stuff that was cut too. Like, I'll, I'll, see, I'll explain I'd like to what see they that. cut out. Yeah, I have a feeling I would still prefer this version of it. I mean, it's the version I've been watching for forty years now. But um, I'd like to see the uncut version. I, I'd like to see because it might even make this. You know, maybe the, it'll drag in until you know between action scenes. You know, mm-hmm. the whole pace of the movie will be different. But maybe the characters will make more sense. So. Um, yeah, I'd love to see an, an, uh, a full version of this. So we're at the supermarket. Supermarket sweep. And Marco Rodriguez walks in. And can he be any more suspicious coming in here? He's got, like, the <laughs> fucking beanie that's, like, spoken up. He's got the, uh, the aviator sunglasses. Like, he looks like he's just really hung over or just tweaking out of his mind like he's sweating like it he looks rough man he looks really rough well, and like he he's walking the by like, boy's eye though he well, well yeah i was about to say he's walking oh. like a zombie and the guy's like sir he starts following him like sir can i help you he's acting all like tough and shit <laughs> and, like, he, like he's gonna do something and he just whips this gun out and it's like oh the whole demeanor just changes right away and he just starts fucking shooting everything. Like, he, he just can't contain himself. Like, he's just got to, like, shoot, like, the fucking produce. He's shooting the fucking cornflakes. Like, he's shooting everything but people. He's emptying all these rounds. Um, and Andrew Robinson's outside with the rest of the police. And his idea of getting control of the situation is TL. Nobody wants to hurt you into the megaphone over and over. And once he's fucking, once it ends with Marco killing this college kid, he's like, you're free, go. And of course, you know, you're never free. It's why he's running. He's noticed, or why he's walking away. He notices that he cocks the shotgun. So he's, of course, he shoots him in the back as he's running away. And we get this overdramatic, you know, shot of him getting blasted. And once he ends up being shot, Alt Lafleur is like, had enough of this shit. He's like, Calling the Cobra, <laughs> like he's Call a fucking superhero, like like he's Batman. <laughs> you know, flash the bad signal. Oh, it's so funny! I laugh so hard at that line every time. Calling the Cobra. So Cobra enters the picture, <laughs> and one of the best entrances in movie history. Dude, by the way. Yeah, he, he comes in here, 
and he's got to get a swig of that warm can of Coors before tossing it out as a distraction. And we got Marco the whole time chanting the way of the new world over the world over and over and shit while Cobra's dancing around the store. Gets on the PA and he's like, Dirtbag, you're a lousy shot. Lousy shots. (laughs) Still learning people. And he's like and then another like I wrote down so many lines throughout this movie. His another one's go ahead. I don't shop here. Yeah, it's one of the greatest lines ever. I love that. I'm the hero of the new world. No, you're the disease, and I'm the cure. Relax, amigo. You want to talk? We'll talk. I'm a sucker for good conversation. I don't want to talk to you. Now you bring in the television cameras in here now. Come on, bring it in. Can't do that. Why? I don't deal with psychos. I put them away. I ain't no psycho, man. I'm a hero. You're looking at a fucking hunter. I'm a hero of the new world. And I'm it's great. So it ends with him coming in in the back. It's like they're in the freezer in the back of the grocery store, and Marco's got this family hostage, and Cobra puts his gun down. He's like, "Come on, you want to talk?" Oh, I love a good conversation or whatever. He's, like, he's, he's just everything that comes out of this guy's mouth in this movie is a fucking one-liner. <laughs> and God, and God bless him. And um, he, we see him like open up this knife in in secrecy while he's talking to him and shit. And of course, he throws a knife and shoots him in the process and saves the day. And he goes outside, and him and his partner, Gonzalez, are swarmed immediately by the media, who are seemingly taking the side of the killer. They're like, what give you the right to kill him? You know, he deserves the fair trial, proper rights. Like, this whole media scrum suddenly siding with the criminal, as if he wasn't just emptying a whole dozen shotgun rounds at the whole produce and yoo and shit. It's just a weird angle for this movie, man. Did he say why he did it? Is this related to the Night Slasher? The Night Slasher is an entirely different case. Now, please, people, please. Come on, let's have a little room. Is it necessary? That's right. I asked the question. Was it necessary for it to end like this? Come on, almost. Did he have to die? Come on, don't listen to this asshole. Question is, Freddy, did you use unnecessary deadly force? I used everything I had. Yeah, what is this, a public forum? Come on, we have more. You wait out here. Our viewers have a right to know what makes a policeman a judge and a jury. People have rights. Rights? You think a maniac who just blew a kid's heart out for nothing should have rights? That doesn't concern you, and no matter what you think, people are entitled to protection by the law. What is 
You tell that to his family, huh? Especially here after we took the life, after he takes the life of this college kid and nearly kills an entire family altogether. And the media is like, he deserved to have a fair trial. It's like, fuck you. But that's like, um, that, that, that whole opening scene is like an all-timer. Like, every part of it is fucking fantastic. Like, but we here's didn't the even... thing. It Go goes ahead. nowhere. What's that? It goes nowhere. After, this whole thing about, you know, the... Because you it, it makes you... It look it, it appears as if this is going to snowball into, like, a subplot with, like, everyone... Well, it puts the cult on the map. Like, that, you know, he was doing that for the cult. So, that that's... What do you mean it doesn't mean anything? I never really run into it like that. Yeah, it's like that. It introduces like the whole opening scene, like crosscuts between the cult members having the meeting, clanging the axes, and this guy well, driving that, toward yeah. the supermarket. He's like, but that's what no, I was no, going to no, say. No, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm talking about this reporter guy. Oh, the reporter. Who just I thought you randomly <laughs> shows up after like the whole supermarket scene happens. Oh, I'll tell you. Exactly and he's what like, he's giving like Stallone a bunch of shit for killing. The super, for for killing Marco Rodriguez instead of right. like letting arresting him and, and letting him you know go through a trial and everything like he should have been it's like yeah no it, it, that's what I, I was gonna get to that though so like oh that's that's what I find funny is like are you it, trying to say the reporter's part of the cult no the reporter is like so this is like I know you don't read movies in the same way that I do so like you might not agree with what I'm saying but like I think a lot of this movie is Stallone like I said at the beginning it's like Stallone fighting the war on crime and a big part of that and this started with Dirty Harry like Dirty Harry was a, actually a controversial movie when it came out because people thought it was like a fascist idea for cops to just go out and shoot people without due process and Cobra's like right, that times 10 whole, and the whole NRA and shit like, right. I know I know yeah, you're but, getting that but I see it and there are people who side with the cops and this, like i think stallone's a guy who sides with the cops in this and i'm not saying right or wrong i'm just saying i think stallone has a conservative point of view which is like it's again remember that stallone wrote the movie and right. remember a lot of the dialogue that he said throughout the movie where it's basically like look i arrest these guys and then the judges let them out back on the street to kill somebody and that's like a like a very conservative point of view like you know they feel the justice system isn't working correctly and, and and to an extent that's definitely true you know people do get let out they probably shouldn't and they go out and commit right. more crimes um it happens all of that it happens and, every day right and the lawyer i mean not the lawyer the uh, the reporter questioning that like represents the liberal mentality that says well wait a minute why how can you just go shoot this guy without giving him due process and arresting him and taking him to court right. and letting a court decide. And, it's some bullshit you would expect to hear today. Right. And, like, the, yeah, like, this scene came straight out of 2023. This whole movie comes straight out of 2023. That's what I loved about it, watching it last night. I'm like, oh my God, this could have been made, like not the way it looks or anything. Obviously it would be a, a totally different movie. But no, just I know the, what you're saying. The themes of it and what it's saying could could have been made to this year. You know, could have been made yesterday, released yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I developed a whole new appreciation for it watching it last night. I'm like, well, I, I mean, I'm not saying that I agree or endorse the point of view that this movie is espousing, but I find it right. interesting that it's there. And I don't think you would, I don't think a conservative 
filmmaker or conservative screenwriter could get a movie like this made today. Not not through Hollywood. It would have to come oh, out no. through like the Daily Wire Plus or whatever that is called. Right. You know. So, um, you know, there was a time in the '80s where movies like this came out once a week, and they had a very conservative point of view. And like, again, I didn't always agree with it, but they're fucking entertaining movies. You know, there is a, a, a fantasy element of like rooting on the cop to kill the people that you know are like deserve it and not innocent bystanders <laughs> right, in the meantime right. so um yeah i mean this is a total like comic book movie with a conservative point of view and i, I actually dig it for that yeah that makes sense well there's also something that they, they bring something up a few times in this movie but they never ever once elaborate on what it actually is they give off vague terms and, and answers and shit that really don't it just it doesn't I don't know it's 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 probably part of the bad writing of this movie, but the zombie squad they keep on referring to the zombie squad that that he's a part of that he comes from, like evidently that's where they called him out of in yeah. the beginning when he says get the cobra. I love like, that scene when Art Lafleur described and I don't I didn't write it down so I don't remember the exact dialogue but he's like you t- he's like talking to slow and it's such a like. You take the jobs that nobody else wants. It's like, like people don't talk that way. But it's so yeah, funny. It's like he gets like the scrub of it's it's just it's like very the worst sex crimes or like crazy fucking like shit that he nobody can else do whatever he wants. He takes right. on the cases that like get handed down because no one else wants them, and he just. <laughs> He's it's like a, a 007. Ch- He's got a license to do what he needs to do it's to get a dirty the job. job done. Someone's got to do right, it. Right, right. And I'm going <laughs> to do it. <laughs> but yeah, because they, they mentioned this fucking zombie squad like three or four times throughout this movie, and they never once give a fucking actual answer as to what it is. Um, so yeah, after all this bullshit. Uh, we got Cobra going back to his house at, at Venice Beach. He lives right on Venice Beach. I gotta say, love this. Uh, I love his digs. Yeah. But when he pulls up, this stunt with the bumper tap—it's just a lawsuit bound to happen today <laughs> in today's economy. Like seriously, like this shit would not fly today. You talk about this—you know—coming on it can be made today. Like this would be—we're suing you. It, it it actually kind of reminded me of a fucking random movie watching this the other day. Um, you ever seen Suburban Commando? Of course you haven't. No, I, I did the Hulk Hogan movie. But Hulk no, Hogan I, and Christopher, yeah, I, I never uh, saw it. Christopher yeah. Lloyd. There's a scene in the movie though, where because like Christopher Lloyd's character is like this bumbling business guy who's always picked on and people walk all over him. And one of his neighbors, like a big car enthusiast, and he, he he like brings home this long stock car. It's like it's taken, like it's 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 taken up all this space and shit. Anyway, Hulk Hogan ends up picking it up and moving it and shit. And him and all of his fucking you know hillbilly friends like stomp stomp over to Hulk Hogan's character and shit. And like you know what we're gonna do to you? And he's like what? And he starts like describing like all these like just ridiculous over the top like violent situations and stuff like you know and it's like nah we're gonna see you man it's the 90s and it just reminded me of that like this whole scene right here the guy's just like we're suing you man um the guy with the I, <laughs> the guy with the car 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't see. I didn't see Suburban Commandos, so I have no point of reference for that. No, I, um, I, I know. The minute you said no, I, I kind of figured you were pretty much out of this conversation. <laughs> I, I was just, I was still resigned. Right no, it was still in my mind. <laughs> Dynamite drop in, Justin. <laughs> At broadcasting school's really paying off. So, anyway, um, yeah, like the whole, I wrote down the, because I'm, of course, I'm writing down lines. Clean up your act. Rips the white <laughs> he rips the shirt. Down the guy's shirt. <laughs> but see, again, like, when I, when I view this, and again, if this is the, when I bring the, like, the political stuff into it, if it's boring, I apologize. But this is the way I was watching, because, again, I've seen this movie so many times. I was like, right. I'm going to try to come at this a different way this time. And, um, and this shit really stood out to me. Like, I didn't even have to, like, dig <laughs> for it. Um, that seems like again stallone's like like people were fed up with like guys who just kind of hang and especially there's probably like a bit of a racial element to it that they're all hispanic guys oh absolutely yeah and it's like again that conservative thing where like we want america to be like it was in the 50s and it didn't look like this in the 50s um you know which that's again well i don't want to say this this is a movie i love but I don't endorse the point of view at all. Like I was kind oh, no, of pussyfooting around it earlier saying, I don't want to say if that's right or wrong. Let me just make it clear that I personally don't endorse a lot of what takes place <laughs> in this movie. Right, right. But it's just a fucking awesome movie. And I like that the politics are not politics that I agree with. So um, yeah. that makes it interesting to me. I don't want to always just see shit that affirms the same thing that I feel. That's boring. So um yeah, and I, but that, yeah, I think this scene, I think there's a lot of that, you know, taking, taking my country back kind of feel to it. So, so which side, are you, speaking of sides, which side are you on when it comes to using the scissors to cut pizza? <laughs> I've never seen that Not before. Not only that, since. like he cuts the smallest fucking <laughs> right. piece, too. Yeah. He's, he just been, he's been working the, on that same the, slice. For four days, like he just cuts a tiny piece off of he it. He cuts the tiniest piece off the bottom and puts the rest back in the box. And it's cold pizza, which I, I, I'm a fan of cold pizza, man. I love cold pizza, but it's just like it's I love tiny the, the, slices, and then like I, I don't know, like uh, what, what else was it? Oh, the uh, the egg carton with the shit they clean his gun at, right? With his gun cleaning kit, and also like it's a scene I never really thought about until watching it last night is when like he goes back you know i'm jumping ahead a little bit but Bridget nielsen's already in the hospital so he goes back to his house and all of a sudden he's got like this like mirror that he's like got a mat drawn on and he's drawing lines and coordinating locations and like he's like pulling shit up on his computer and it's like to show you that he's not just a meathead with a gun he's also got brains you know like and I wonder if they like flesh that out at all in the longer version of it, because it's just like a throwaway scene. Oh, I somehow here. doubt that. <laughs> <laughs> right, the the two hour ten minute version is just so fun to think about. It's like, what did they actually go into? But yeah, it's like meant to show it that, that he's got brains along with the brawn. Like he's not just a one note uh, tough guy. Right. So, but when he sat down and cut himself the tiny piece of. Did you notice that he's watched that the did you notice the Toys R Us commercial when the when the TV? Oh yeah, the Christmas, oh I used to Toys love Toys R Us Christmas commercial. Yes. Yeah, that's in Leith, Is it also in Lethal, Lethal Weapon or is it only in this? I feel oh, like I it's in seen, another. I 80s haven't seen Lethal Weapon in like five or six years. I can't remember. I feel like it's in another '80s action movie, but I could be. This identical commercial. 
One of those old Toys R Us commercials. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, oh, Toys R Us. Yeah, I used to love it. it. It definitely, like, when you were a kid, like, if you weren't already yeah. feeling the Christmas spirit, as soon as you saw that commercial, you were like, oh, it's definitely time. That's right. The shit is on. That and the Hess truck commercial. The Hess truck. <laughs> those are the two commercials you had to see every yeah. year. And, I, um, I, still, I still see the Hess truck commercial. And the Gillette Snowman. And the Coca-Cola bear, the polar yeah. bear. Well, that was a little later. Yeah, that was not, I'm talking about like when I was. Well, before that, it was the, um, the, the, the parade of, of trucks, the 18-wheelers that go through the, the parade through the town with Christmas lights and shit. The Santa on the back. I don't remember No? That. Okay. So we got the waitress. This is this random waitress leaving work late at night. She falls victim to the night slasher and the other cult members in her car. And I noticed there's a few instances, three or four times, when the Night Slasher goes to make his kill, we get this random slow motion effect. And it's on the fisheye lens. You said there's only one or two. It's that crazy fisheye lens effect also. I, I didn't notice the fisheye. Oh, part. yeah. It's a crazy shot. Like, I, I love it. I know it's a crazy shot. It's just <laughs> random. It's like, why are we doing slow motion all of a sudden, yeah, guys? Like, we can't show gore or something? Like, I don't know. Um, but also something else to bring up. I don't know why, especially because as a kid, I used to watch horror films religiously. So I had practically seen every imaginable death type there was uh, on, on screen. But the kills in this movie used to really get to me and affect me. I, I honestly don't know why. Maybe it's because it how, how absolutely crass they are. I don't know. Like I said, I, I, I don't know what it was. But yeah, a lot of these scenes involving Brian Thompson's Night Slasher used to really have an effect on me when I was younger and when I would have watched this. And maybe that's what drew me to this film a lot um, growing up. Yeah. I I, I, and even as an adult watching it, like I, I definitely feel uneasy yeah um anytime these fucking poor innocent people are just being attacked by this fucking cult yeah especially with all people like if, if i'm getting killed like the, one of the last people on the planet i want to see fucking kill me is brian thompson <laughs> yeah so one a couple things michael ironside too a couple things about that like it, i 100 agree it's like i said earlier like this is like the best canon movie that canon never made like People love Ten to Midnight, and Ten to Midnight's okay. Like I, I don't know. I think it's kind of overrated. Like I, I think agree. this. I think the exploitation element of this movie mm -hmm. is better than far better than Ten to Midnight, and like just a lot of movies that are straight up like just '80s exploitation slasher movies. I, this movie just does that, and it's not the whole movie. It's just kind of like, you know, like a what maybe 20 to 30 minutes of it um but it plays just like a real sleazy early 80s exploitation flick and just you know and again the rick Waite photography just looks fantastic so it all looks great um and yeah so as far as the fact that they're attacking like these you know they're all young attractive women and my biggest gripe with this movie is that the um the cult is very ill-defined. Like, I'm not sure Dude, what, what their point I was gonna, is. Uh, yeah. And yep. so, yeah. And at the end, by way of an explanation, it's like Brian uh, uh, Thompson says, 
we're we're hurt we're thinning out the weak you know we only the strong can survive so it sounds like there's some sort of like you know um I don't, I don't know what I'm. It's vague, dude. It's very vague. But like, it's, uh, it's, so it's, were... it's part of my, it's part of my Mulligan moment. Spoiler yeah. alert: is yeah. is this fucking caught in their motives? Yeah, and you know, it, if they were thinning out the herd, then they would like probably would have there would have been, and you know, they could mention it like on the background on a newscast, like a rash of homeless people getting killed. Like if that was your goal, what, what Brian Thompson says at the end. Wouldn't you start with like literally the weakest people, like the people that are living out on the right. streets? You know, like that's what I mean. This movie has such weird conservative politics, but they leave so much on the table that like they could have really got into some. Yeah, Stallone could have really got into some batshit like areas, like interesting. Then he just kind of leaves it there. Um, you know, the cult like by 1986, like these cults who were just going to like come in and kill people in their sleep. That was because of the Manson family, and people had gotten over that pretty much by the late seventies. So, like, right. the idea that this cult's running around in '86—it's clearly modeled on the Manson family. Like, it just—it it doesn't make sense, you know? No, it's—it it doesn't at all. Um, so we got, we see another girl getting killed, um, and Brigitte Nielsen is actually driving by, witnesses this. Which prompts them to get her license plate number and boogie on out of there. And the Lee Garlington character, the woman who plays Nancy, uh, like the one female from this cult, is um, she's revealed to be a police officer. So they get the tag numbers from her so that she can obviously get the information at the office. And Cobra Gonzalez. Before you move on from her character, can I say something? It's something that I noticed watching it last night. You can say anything you want. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but like... No, you're good. So like, and I remember this shot as a kid, the shot where uh, it's where they're in the van and they... Well, yeah, it's the same one that Bridget Nielsen sees. I was thinking it was another one, but no, I think it's the same one. And she gets out and she's like, you know, and she puts on that Valley Girl accent. She's like, I totally hit your car, whatever she says. And then yeah. um, the woman, you know, and then it cuts to a shot of the woman looking up at her. And then they cut to a very, like, in my mind, weird and distinctive shot of her looking down like her head's kind of like pointed up but her eyes are like looking down at the woman it's just the the framing of the shot it's just it stands out so then like two minutes later you see her in her police uniform with her hair in a bun and she's looking at the computer pulling up yes. Nielsen's information. And then they I know cut, exactly what you're talking about. And they cut to a shot of her. And it's that same shot when she's looking in the car. And it's like it's like a visual way for you like to just keep up that that's like the same woman you just saw too. You know, not maybe right. that you didn't need it. But it's just right. kind of like a nice little subliminal thing that it's the same, you know, you're seeing this character. Um she looks different but it's that same woman you just encountered a minute ago i I just thought that was really cool like i don't i never i don't if i ever put that together before i didn't remember it and watching it yesterday i was like oh that was was a nice little bit of visual storytelling yeah um when so uh, gonzalez and cobra meet up with the captain and monty on this rooftop location like a secret meeting Well, I won't waste any time. You know almost every sicko in this city. Shake him down. Do what you have to do to get a lead on this maniac. 
objective, I find. Do what you do best. And try not to waste the wrong guy, huh? But then again, what do you care, right? You know, when this is over, I like to celebrate by punching a hole in Monty's chest. You know what the trouble with you is? You're too violent. Mm. It's all that sugar you're eating. It's all that the junk food. I had all it's day. all that junk food you're swallowing. Oh, shit. Try prunes, something natural. Prunes. Raisins. Try fish. Fish yeah. and rice. Very yeah. good. And he's ordered to do what you do best to shake down this night slasher mess. And one of my favorite, like I said um, earlier, is the the chemistry between Gonzalez and Cobra. It's one of my favorite aspects of this movie. Um, and this immediately we, from there we move into this model shoot montage. Brigitte Nielsen like this. It's her modeling with a bunch of robots. <laughs> and we it's it's intercutting with a bunch of night slasher stuff and i guess robots were all the rage in the mid 80s rocky 4 anybody like <laughs> stallone loves them robots and the the film literally becomes a music video for yeah. a few minutes at this point it's also stallone and santoni going around like gathering information you know like yeah yeah, yeah. asking people questions it's i love this montage i, I wrote it down great montage yeah i love it yeah, yeah. So Night Slasher and his call of merry men kill David Rash after he tries to get Ingrid to fuck him. It's alright, I'll take it from here. You sure? No problem, her car's right over there. Okay. Well, you're in good hands. Good night. So listen, I still think if you wanted to, you could be doing a lot bigger layouts. I mean, it's up to you, but I could help. I don't want to have to play all these games. Games? What, games? You know what, games. Look. I'd be sick not to want to sleep with you. Okay, then don't do it for me. Do it for your career. Did you hear something? It's not like I'm asking you to marry me. So I can see it's going to take some time to make you change your mind. So where do you want to eat? Please, Dan, I'm not hungry. Look, this I'm not doing this for me, really. Look, I'm just trying to help you find happiness. Damn, I forgot my bag. You see, you do need me. Like he's like, he is so fucking horny, man. He's like, don't do it for me. Do it for your career. It's not like I'm asking you to marry me. I was like, holy shit. I, never, I, I remember it being a sleaze bag, but I didn't remember that. I don't remember line. him being this forward. Oh, my God. Like, that's such a funny fucking sleaze bag line. <laughs> don't, don't do it and for me. Do it for your career. Do it for your career. <laughs> it's like some fucking Harvey Weinstein shit. Uh, yeah, exactly. I was getting ready to say, I'm so sure <laughs> that that's how that shit goes. That was like a tame version of how that shit goes down. Yeah, too. right. Oh, my God. And he gets axed, and this other poor bystander gets killed. 
along with this fucking dumbass security guard who gets violently smashed as shit. Oh, like, that's such a move. great shot. He does no... <laughs> he, he pulls in no effort to get out of the way. He's just firing off until this fucking thing smashes him into the wall. I've read that Stuntman got hurt doing that shot. Like, he, he hit the wall so fucking hard. Yeah. That, like, he got hit. It's such Probably. a beautiful shot, man. I love it. It paid <laughs> off in spades. And... Uh, they end up taking off after they hear sirens. And I really like how they have this cult acting as the heinous centerfold of this film. But instead of the typical biblical bullshit, these suckers are only doing it as part of this new world order where only the strong survive <laughs> everyone else is weak. <laughs> See, and so that's, come on now. that's where I realized that movie, like, again, this movie is very much like could have come out yesterday. It's just people are afraid, like, we've run out of boogeymen so now like the boogeyman like will literally kill you at any time for no reason whatsoever like you know yeah. what i mean like it, it wouldn't be scary if there was a rhyme or reason to it the idea that it's just like anarchy and these people just grab anybody up um but we don't see that in the movie like all the victims all fit like a pattern except for the people that they kill that are like innocent bystanders like their targets are always like just like young attractive women so i didn't know if like there's some sort of statement sloan's trying to make there that they're really just sex creeps um and you know saying it's a new world order is just a bullshit cover like i don't we'll know we'll never like, know right it just it, the, the, <laughs> the cult's very ill-defined it really is um cobra and gonzalez interviewing during ruin ingrid from her hospital room which is being overwatched by the Nancy character and she reveals that she witnessed the Night Slasher and a few other members who are present and Nancy tells the Night Slasher that Ingrid knows his face and he says that she's mine while sharpening his massive knife <laughs> his massive ass fucking carving <laughs> knife that was actually custom made yeah. for him in this role uh go uh, it, what was I gonna say? Um, oh, Cobra and Gonzalez—they—they they both they're both foiled. While the former is back at his place, going over his mug shots, comparing them to Ingrid's description of the Night Slasher. Night Slasher at this point has colored his hair like this just for men shit, <laughs> and he disguises himself as the janitor to go finish the job at the hospital and kill Ingrid, and he kills this nurse in the process. Featuring another slow motion killer showing um, just the victim's reaction as they're murdered. And Ingrid escapes the night slasher from the opposite bathroom door while she's while he's breaking down the door with a knife. She then rips the, she trips the fire alarm and loses the night slasher in this crowd of evacuees. And it cuts the uh, Cobra being reprimanded by the chief and captain over the, this whole ordeal. He, he <laughs> gives Monty the sketch. In this scene. Huh? Not kissing his ass in this scene. No, 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 no. This is the other. This is the flip side of the coin. It is. He gives Monty the sketch of the Night Slasher after telling him he forgot to say please. <laughs> the ma you forgot the magic word. He's like, Cabretti, you know you have an attitude problem? Yeah, but, but yeah, it's just, it's just a little one. <laughs> so, Cobra, <laughs> eating an apple, mind you. And he didn't want this to be a comedy. <laughs> yeah. He and, he, he and Gonzalez leave the hospital together and they they take Ingrid to the safe house and he questions Monty why two of the three people tasked with watching Ingrid the night before were suddenly removed from their task and he's 
simply told it's his show now and this feels like it was I don't know this 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 scene in particular makes me think that like was Monty like a villain at one point and they decided to go another way yes and this scene was left over maybe yes. if he feels like it's a villainous uh, I don't know mannerism or something it's 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 it doesn't mesh with the rest of his uh, character in this it, movie so that is the case I read and I forget it might have been on the Wikipedia when I forget where I read but at some point it said um, and I think this was part of the Beverly Hills cop script that Monty was and no no it wasn't because the cult element I don't think was was Beverly Hills cop I could be wrong about that but at any rate Monty was the, the head of the actual head of the cult right and like you know no. they have a confrontation at the end i'm so fucking glad they didn't do that like oh my god that would have sucked so bad like i mean andrew robinson another villain no but he's Ooh. just he's just a, an asshole you know he's a stick in the mud cop who's just got it again it's stallone commenting on things it's like he's right. a cop who like plays by the rules and the rules are set up to be against the cops like he's just a guy who, who won't accept that or doesn't see it he's just kind of like a bootlicker and um, right. you know yeah. Stallone's like the his character is the and is the way it should be in his mind. Like cops should be able to go out there and bust some heads, and then crime would be like zero. You know, so um yeah that that's totally and I think that's a much more interesting character for Andy Robinson than being you know some stupid which was the forty eight hours two ending when, or being uh, another killer when Brian James was the fucking bad guy all along i'm like are you kidding me I like I'm, I'm, that. So, yeah that was terrible and that that's what it would have been if like if robinson was the villain here that would have sucked so just him being a cop who's on the other side of the fence of cobretti is that's it that's all you need you don't need any more than that it's fucking perfect that's worth mentioning that nancy's with them she's tasked with joining them she's partnered up with uh gonzalez during this transfer and the cult intervenes while leaving the hospital the typical 80s car chase stuff guns and fun <laughs> we got reverse machine gun action on the highway two exploding <laughs> tankers and a move that predates the Fast and Furious we see Cobra using NOS lots of cars <laughs> getting airtime over and over fucking hills nice choreography though with the stunt cars uh, especially the slow motion shot of Cobra eating shit in his car that essentially ends the sequence. And Nancy returns to the police station as we see another meeting taking place between Cobra, Monty, Captain Sears, and the Chief. And I guess Andrew Robinson's the new spokesperson for letting people live. I don't know why I wrote that in my notes, but I did. Um, well, hold on. Before we go forward, I want to talk about yeah. the car chase. Sure. So, before last night, my memory of this movie is... It's weird. Like, I... I kind of forgot a lot of it <laughs> which is weird to me considering how many times i fucking watch this movie like and i feel like i watch it frequently it's not like it's been 15 years or something like i watch this every so often yeah and same here just saw it with new eyes last night so like my memory of it was always that like it's one of the dumber 80s action movies which is part <laughs> of the reason why i love it so much and a lot of it is just how unintentionally funny it is and like the, but the action kind of sucks which it would have been a better movie if the action was better and then i'm watching it last night and that first fight you know the, the opening scene aside i always thought the opening scene was fucking amazing 
but then like the fight scene at his house in front of the, the big neon Pepsi sign, like I'm like, this is actually a pretty good fight scene. And then the fucking car chase, which I always kind of just remembered, you know, being whatever, like a couple cool shots when they're jumping the hills. The entire car chase right. is fucking rad, man. It's a great scene. I was like, it is. It's like one of the better car chases, especially one of the better car chases that it. nobody ever talks about. Like, it's it's a really good car chase. And um, yeah, like they're and again, there's scenes where they're jumping the hill, and the one specific scene where he jumps up and his car hits the uh, the sign that's overhanging the yeah, uh, intersection, yeah, yeah. and like sparks fly off that's a fucking beautiful shot like that you know that's i don't know like, i love it when the two cars are going over the, the the double hills yeah and like one jumps and comes down and then you see the yeah. other one like it, it, again yeah. rick waits photography is fucking jaw-dropping at times in this movie and you know everybody thinks of cobra just being a dumb big dumb 80s movie which it is i'm not going to argue that it's more than that um but it, it fucking looks great like i just forgot how great looking of a movie this is yeah for sure um we are here oh safe house transfer take two nancy's still partnering with gonzalez so we know that they're gonna find them for sure now cobra tells ingrid to have faith when she suspects that they'll be found again little pit stop gonzalez tells ingrid cobra's real name as we see him reenacting the bobblehead that he's being infatuated with. <laughs> I love this entire scene. This is one of my favorite scenes in the movie, you know. Um, oh, really? Oh, I love this scene. I mean, for one, it's just it's like it's just a nice little character scene for all three of them. Like, yeah, I think yeah. they all give really good like um, Rennie Santoni fucking drinking that Coke. Like, I just sit there and watch him. <laughs> like, I just focus on him sucking down that Coke and like smacking yeah. his lips and shit. It's so funny. Like, I love, and like, Bridget, Brigitte Nielsen's really good in the scene. Stallone, like, trying to be, again, trying to be funny and being so unfunny. Like, it's just a really nice little scene in the midst of all this other stuff. It, there's a couple little scenes. One coming up with him and her at the bar that I like. Um, it, you know, I'm not saying they're Academy Award worthy, but in a movie like this, I think they're nice little breaks from the action yeah. and, and good little good little character scenes it, it, they're charming like it it makes me like the characters more like you said it the the chemistry between sloan and san santoni is off the charts in this movie like i, I love those two together like i really wish we would have got two or three more, more movies of them Should've got a spin-off with them too. playing these characters um but yeah yeah this is a scene for everybody to kind of bounce off each other a little bit um it's just really really nice scene no, no doubt it is so we got witness protection at the crossroads motel but not before stopping to eat the, at the diner across the street Cobra's trying to make Ingrid laugh yeah. when he brings <laughs> a ginormous fake burger to the table He's a fucking dork. 
<laughs> and it's so it's obviously got... like Stallone just improving, like you know, yeah. he threw him in his room and he saw that burger and he's like, oh, I'm yeah, so throwing look, this into the scene. Look at this big giant burger. <laughs> Bet you I can make her laugh. And meanwhile, she's drowning her fries in ketchup. <laughs> I mean, drowning them. What kind of ketchup to fry ratio do you prefer? Because for her. Nah, man. Like, her shit's gonna become ultra soggy really yeah. quick. But he comments on it. It doesn't go unnoticed, you know. He makes yeah. a joke about it. So more, Cobra more catches a glimpse. Yeah. <laughs> Those pants. Cobra catches a glimpse <laughs> of Nancy on the phone outside late at night and looks suspicious, followed by the call of killers assembling to head to the motel. Now, this scene, this drives me business. fucking... This drives me nuts. This is like another one of the things with the screenplay that drives me batty. Me too. Why, so, why for you though? Well, so he sees her making the call and he's mm-hmm. kind of looking at it. Like every time she's on the phone, he kind of, we see him like side eye. There's a scene where they're like at a, a diner or something where she's, yeah. she goes to the payphone and he like, he notices. Where's Tony? Uh, he's asleep. I was just checking on things at home. Why didn't you use the phone in your room? Uh, it's out of order. It's getting cold out here, huh? Yeah. Better get inside. Yeah. Listen, uh, maybe it doesn't mean much, but for what it's worth, I think you're doing a great job. You too. And he just flat out like catches her like uh like stumbling like oh, oh, oh I was uh like checking her like she like she looks like she got caught doing something you know and um he does and nothing. that's that's kind of the impression that we're given is like okay he's on to her so then again I'm jumping ahead when the shit hits the fan and they realize that she's not on the team uh Rennie Santoni's like I never liked that bitch and never Sloan's liked that like, bitch yeah yeah and Sloan's like me neither never like that bitch me either but it's almost like he's surprised that this happened yeah. it's like well, wait Shocker. a minute you've been, you've been setting up that you're on to her the whole time why it's like would this you be never happened when between it ha- him. Right. it's crazy it's like that's one of the things you know about the movie that drives me nuts is like and again i don't know if it's a screenplay thing or that the movie got chopped up you know apparently and i'm sure you'll get into this but apparently it's it's an even more violent movie than what we see. Oh, yeah. Like it, oh, a yeah. lot of that got chopped out. So oh, yeah. I'm wondering I'm wondering how much of the incoherence of this is due to it just being hacked to pieces, you know? Like and again, like I never even gave the idea of a director's cobra uh, a cobra director's cut. I never gave that idea at the time of day. And now it's all I can think about. It's like, "Oh my god, <laughs> you mean there's a fucking over 2-hour version of this?" Like and I, it's probably not a version. I'm not suggesting that it's out there somewhere and they should release it. Like I'd love if it happened. There's but... a there's a work print. It's it's it's. Oh my god! Why are they not working on this night and day? Like somebody I, I, well... should be making this happen. I wish. See, it's times like this where I wish I was like a super wealthy person because the fucking Cobra, you know, definitive cut would be coming. Would be released <laughs> at some point. That's what I. That's the kind of shit I'd put. I'd like cure homelessness and then i would put the rest of the money into the, make, the, cure homelessness the cobra, make sure directors cut a cobra, the cobra the definitive cut. Day. exactly those would be my, like my two contributions to society 
And I think they'd be worthy contributions. Well, he, uh, it's the fact that a woman in the payphone, Nancy, she, he catches her in the ass while she's not using the one in the room. And she claims it's out of order and then tells him that she thinks that he's doing a good job. I guess to smooth over the current awkwardness. And he buys into it. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you know. And Cobra prepares for battle with his guns and grenades as we catch quick glimpses of the cult heading their way to the twi- with one of the bikes. And Cobra and Ingrid get closer to each other when she can't sleep and asks for him to be close to her. And eventually they kiss because movie. <laughs> and later, uh, early morning at dawn, the gang is shown getting closer as the sun's coming up and Nancy's seen switching sides. And this is the whole, I never liked that bitch, me neither line. And it's Action Jackson time. It's like a scene from out of an old western. That's how I'm looking at it as I'm watching yeah. this. I see the, that. The cult's taking over the town as the shootout begins mm-hmm. at the motel. And Gonzalez nearly gets killed. It's funny because I, when I was younger, I thought he did, did get killed. Um, I, I remember, him, I I remember like him being d- killed in this sequence uh, for the longest time. And then I started watching it again after it came out. Um on Blu-ray, and, and I was like, oh, no, he doesn't die. Yeah, so, that's one of the things I always liked about it, is that he pops up at the end. It's like, there's yeah. a part of me, it's like, I wish he would have had more to do and, like, been more of the action. Um, it, it's like Stallone just wrote him out of the scene so it could just get down to the nuts and bolts of the, the ending, you know, um, yeah. and not complicate it with another character who was just going to get rid of eventually anyway. Um, but I always was happy that he popped up in the final scene because I didn't like the idea that his character got killed. I, again, I, I just loved his performance too much. Um, and, and the sidekick that, you know, the partner, they don't have to get killed in every fucking movie. Like it doesn't, you know, it's such right. a like bored trope. It's nice when it's subverted or just done differently. Okay. He got wounded, but he's okay in the end, you know, like that, that's again, like, as dumb as this movie is in a lot of ways, there's a few, like, actually, I don't know if they're accidental, but smart things that happen, um, even in a screenplay as bad as this one. Um, you know, in a lot of ways, this is a, a lightning-in-the-bottle kind of movie. I think it should have been a disaster. <laughs> and the fact that it's it's good as it is, even if you don't think it's as good as I do, um, if you're like, yeah, it's one of the better 80s action movies, like, it's kind of a, a miracle that it's even that good, you know? It should it should have been just unwatchable. This is true. Um, what we got here? So Ingrid and Cobra they escape in the truck. Ingrid's driving. Cobra's in the back, taking out the members of this never-ending cult. And seriously, how big is this fucking cult supposed to be? It was fifteen people at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, it's now like it's, fucking fifteen hundred now. <laughs> they're coming from every fucking side. Like they're everywhere. <laughs> that they've converted this whole entire town overnight, and none of them are businessmen or mailmen. They're all like post-apocalyptic. It's all, they're all. It's like it's the, the road construction road. guy. It's the plumber. Yeah, it's more like the village people. Then I was thinking yeah, exactly. more it's like a, a Mad Max thing. Like, um... so this chase ends up at a steel mill where they 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 fight through a grapefruit or a citrus plantation first, and then they go to this <laughs> they, this fucking random steel mill. <laughs> that pops up. It's like our Robocop. situated right next to a citrus plant. It's right next <laughs> like to it. It is right fucking next to it. all the runoff from the steel mill just runs right into the soil of the citrus plant. <laughs> <laughs> the citrus plant oh, man. Field. It's a wild town. So Nancy <laughs> ends up shooting the guard there and turning on the machinery 
while Brian Thompson stalks his prey along the rest of the remaining cult members. And one by one, members of the cult fall victim to Miriam Cobretti while the Night Slasher dispatches Nancy, who is the final cultist. Um, she's accidentally shot. Um, he doesn't like turn on her. She's like struggling and he fires and hits her by, by accident and kills her. Members are shot, stabbed, scorched alive, the whole nine. It's down to the Night Slasher and Cobra in the film's main event. You want to go to hell, huh, pig? You want to go to hell with me? We are the future. That's bleed, pig! Oh, you pig! Civilized, isn't it, Pig? But I'm not. This is where the law stops, and I start. Suck line and sinker is what ends the final fight, and ultimately the night slasher. And I love the brutality of this fucking death scene as he's burnt alive while dangling from the hook. It's insane. I love it. Uh, Aftermath. Huh? Hold on. Before you, like, I had a, like, and nobody else is going to care about this, so bear with me for, like, 30 seconds. This is interesting. Interesting only to me, I'm sure. So, and this is going to make people not like me to start with. (laughs) I'm not the biggest fan of Terminator 2. I think it's a wildly overrated movie. Okay, you can stop right there. <laughs> I like it. Talking. Don't get me wrong. It's it's not. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I just don't think it's as great. I definitely don't think it's better than the first one, and I just think it's kind of overrated. And part of the reason I don't like it is I I think a couple of the beats of it, a lot of it's very different. Don't get me wrong. The whole like Sarah Connor being buffing in the psych the psychiatric ward. I love all that part of it. Um, but like the ending feels like I I feel like it's like I've seen it before. And it dawned on me last night, I always thought it was too similar to the end of the first Terminator when they're in that just random factory and it's like Mm -hmm. kind of the same thing. But it's not. It's because I saw the ending in fucking Cobra when they're in the smelting factory. It's like, oh, I've, you know, like watching it last night, I'm like, 
this reminds me of Terminator 2, and I think that's why I always thought with Terminator 2, I've seen this before. It's like the same factory at the end of Cobra. Sort um, of. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I'm not just coming out uh, of that. No, I mean, it sort of makes sense, because, I mean, yeah. we recently covered T2, so I have it kind of familiar on my mind still. I, and I know most people adore T2, so I'm not. I'm definitely not and trying I'm to show them. And I'm one of them. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, no. Most, most people, my opinion is definitely the minority opinion. I, it's like again i don't dislike it i like it well enough i just don't love it especially um, watching the first one and the second one back to back because we covered i them. love the first one the first one's one of my favorite movies first one's just, great yeah t2 is I, I i'm one of the people that think t2 i have i put it on a pedestal I think yeah T2 no I, and is i get that it great. I, I don't agree but i get it and, right. but i figured out last night a big part of it is because of the, the final scene like it's that i've seen this factory scene before it's done differently in t2 obviously yeah um, yeah, yeah but i've seen the final confrontation in that smelting no one before. no one gets melted alive in this scene uh, in this, right in this movie uh, and, and they don't they but, don't turn into like various characters throughout the film yeah no i'm not saying that, but <laughs> but it's it's the same setting in other words it's yeah. not like a unique setting that's why like the end of t2 it's like t2 I wanted to fucking Rebel blow Cop, my mind. you all have familiar steel mill settings there you in go exactly see there you go you're you're you're, even though you don't agree with me, you're picking up what I'm putting down. No, like, I I've know. seen yeah, that. Yeah. We've seen I've the seen study before. It happens a lot. Vari- that ending in different variations. Right, so that's why right. I wasn't blown away by T2. I think a big part of it is because of that ending. And yeah, seeing Cobra last night. I so was if like, oh, like, Terminator 2's finale took place at like a mall or ho- oh, no, the beginning took place in a mall or like a yeah. hockey rink or something to be different or better. I don't. I mean, look, I don't. I didn't write rewrite the movie in my mind. I'm just saying. I feel <laughs> like joking. I've seen this before. Yeah, so. yeah. I, I know you're saying. I'm just busting balls. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, you got the aftermath outside of the mill. Gonzalez is taken away to medic while talking about gummy bears with a smile. <laughs> <cobra. laughs> A fellow junk belly. What does he call it? Garbage belly or garbage belly? Scene? Yeah. yeah fellow, fellow garbage belly. Yeah. Cat, Captain Cop, uh, compliments Cobra and tells him if he needs anything, including being brought out of the zombie squad, just let him know. And then Monty gives Cobra more shit about overdoing it, prompting him to get knocked out before he takes <laughs> off with him on the motorcycle. <laughs> And it's, it's Cobra punching out that fucking liberal mindset that yeah. allows the uh and it, again like hearkening back to the beginning you were talking about where Andrew Robinson characters like we don't want to hurt you like he's trying to talk the guy out of it yeah 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 and yeah. it's at that point where like the guy actually shoots somebody because before that he's just shooting produce and fucking mm-hmm. you know shopping carts which I found funny I was like oh my god I always kind of remembered the opening scene being a, a supermarket like Massacre. massacre. He shoots no. one guy and he just he just blows the shit out of the supermarket. I the only thing getting massacred is the fucking poor lettuce and shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that shot where he sends the shopping cart flying is beautiful. Yeah, I yeah, love that yeah. shot. Um, but yeah, that that's the, and so it, like he's Andrew Robinson's like we don't want to hurt you and like you know what he like the pussyfoot approach is when somebody gets killed and then Stallone comes in and does it his way dispatches Call the guy nobody else is hurt you know <laughs> so yeah and then in the end credits set to john cafferty and the beaver band beaver brown bands <laughs> the worst voice Springsteen of america's sons you've ever heard dude i was i'm listening to this song and i'm like they 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 got like they got bruce the boss for this movie and 
I fucking whipped out my Shazam app and I listened to it. I'm like, what, what, what Bruce Springsteen song is this? And I'm like, it's not even fucking Bruce. It's not even fucking Bruce at all. It is See, the I'm, most generic fucking Bruce counteract I've ever heard in my life. See, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna date myself here, but I'm old enough to be a teenager when MTV was crowing about the world premiere of the video for that song. <laughs> Which oh God! Incorporated scenes from Cobra. I bet it did. <laughs> I think in the end credits at the end, when uh, they the the music credit it says like in parentheses like the official Cobra theme song. <laughs> yeah, it's like, something about Cobra. I, I I noticed that from like a glimpse of my eye. I'm like oh. I, re- I remembered the video and like that was like John Cafferty and the uh, Beaver Brown Band's thing in the '80s because they also did the song from Eddie and the Cruisers that actually ended up becoming like a minor actual hit song hmm. um, from the dark side. So that was like his thing was like movie theme songs. And, uh, you know, again, Cobra, there's no fucking way Cobra made $140 million internationally. So I think the reality was that Cobra wasn't that big of an, uh, enough of a hit for anybody to really like nobody came out of Cobra better than when they came into it you know so um john cafferty kind of like that was it for him you never heard from him again after that all right let's move on to some categories now start with trivia tidbits it's funny little things used to mean so much to shelly i used to think they were kind of trivial believe me nothing is trivial this movie surprisingly has a lot of trivia. Like I it was does. shocked by how much I have there a lot is of trivia like, know about for this movie. Yeah, I was, I Brian really Thompson surprised. had to buy his own ticket to see the film because mm-hmm. he was not invited to the premiere by the producers and Warner Brothers. Which I think Stallone uh, got competitive with him. Stallone I think he felt him. Yeah, I he think felt so infringed too. upon. Yeah, it seems like he was pulling his weight when it came to Brian Thompson. Like, I know how I'll get that motherfucker. He ain't gonna be at the premiere. <laughs> mm. <laughs> A very rare work print of the movie has circulated among fans. Although uh, most copies are in poor quality, it has 30 to 40 minutes of footage not available on any other version. It also has all the X-rated material removed from the final release. I'm, some I'm of the looking cuts, at oh, Go ahead, I'm sorry. Some of the cuts made to avoid an X-rating include the first murder victim having her hand severed, an extended autopsy scene, which we actually see the we don't even see it happen. We see the aftermath. Um, it's the uh, the the victim in, from the grocery store because they had their argument with the captain and all. It's in an autopsy room and it, it yeah. takes place after a set scene. It's the first time the captain turns against the first time yeah. he's not kissing his ass. Uh, a longer death of David Hash is Dan, including the shot of him slipping on his own blood while trying to escape. Yeah, that is abrupt because he they they miss him the first couple swings. They miss and then him. All they, of a sudden, he, they, you hear three swings. The first two yeah. miss, and the third yeah. one hits him. Yeah. More deaths of the townspeople during the climax, including a person getting hit in the face with an axe. <laughs> <laughs> the original ending was supposed to take place uh, in Lake Peru in Ojai, California, where Cobra was. At, he had a has a confrontation with Monty in which he rips off his shirt and reveals a satanic tattoo across his chest. Oh, yeah, I'm so Which reveals him to be the leader of the New World Order, which explains why the Night Stalker and Nancy, who was also an LAPD officer, had information 
on all the victims and and were one step ahead of Code Ready and his partner the entire time. Nancy was enough. You didn't need any more than that. That was right. That that did the trick. That they didn't overcomplicate it. They didn't make it just nonsense. Um, what was you mentioned something there that wanted? Oh, yeah. So my new goal in life is to fucking watch this work print. <laughs> I, I need to see it. I need to see all this excised. Um, I'm gonna have to track footage. it down then. Oh my god! Let me know if you find anywhere where this is like you know some. If it's out there, I'll fucking snoop it yeah, out. Yeah, let me know. I, I'll even go on the dark web. I've never been on the dark web. I'm not I exactly 100 percent sure I, what I happens have to there. Do all that. I'll find it. If it's there, I'll find it. <laughs> I know it's bad news, but if that's on there, there's no, a will, there's yeah. a way. My two now. I have actually I have three. I have three holy grails. So <laughs> this one, the, the work print of this. I don't care how shitty it is. I need to see it all. Um, the uh, director's cut of Tiptoes starring Gary Oldman and Matthew McConaughey and hopefully next year 2024 The Day the Clown Cried those are my three holy grails if I can knock those out I'm good to go The Day the Clown Died Jerry Lewis the, 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 uh, the clown in the concentration camp movie gotcha um it's supposedly he gave a print to the uh the uh what is it called what's the the one that preserves all the films the uh it's up the national registry yes the registry he gave a copy i don't know if you know the whole story you probably don't care again this is one of those times where i need sean here i feel like i've heard this story before probably from sean yeah it's a movie he made in like 72 and everybody was like what the fuck is this where he like he's a clown and he marches kids into the ovens at auschwitz or whatever concentration Stop. camp it's like it's but but roberto wow. benini did it his life is beautiful like 20 years later or whatever 25 years later um but yeah like lewis was like i can't i can't put this out there's no way so he just kind of sat on it for the rest of his life and a few people have seen it here and there there's this famous story of harry Shear from the simpsons having yeah. seen it and he's like it's every bit as crazy as it sounds like so um and that really made like anybody who knows about it really fucking want to see it so um but jerry lewis was like there's no i'm just not going to put this out it's never going to happen um and eventually he gave it to the national registry and said with the stipulation that it has to i think i don't know he hasn't been dead 10 years i don't know exactly how they ended up on the year 2024 but apparently next year this fucking thing is going to be able to, you're going to be able to see it. So fingers crossed that actually happens. All right. After Top Gun became a massive box office hit, Stallone, Warner Brothers, and the Cannon Group were afraid that Cobra wouldn't be successful, so they cut it down heavily in order to have a more theatrical screening, in order to have more theatrical screenings per day. A similar thing happened with another 48 hours, which was heavily re-edited to compete with Total Recall, but as with Cobra... It created many plot holes. Originally, the motorcycle chase in the end was supposed was to be filmed in Seattle during the night on a ferry between the islands. Even though everything was prepared to start filming at night, Sylvester Stallone ordered for the ending to be changed and to happen during the day because of the mosquito problem at the time, <laughs> which would have had made the nighttime difficult to have uh, to, to, to endure it's better for it's better as a daytime scene the only thing that's distracting is the fact that the road's real wet 
so it, you know obviously it was making it easier for the stuntmen to like right. slide their motorcycles it's, it, that that part like just kind of really jumps out at you but whatever it's you know it's one of the fun weird things about this movie but yeah it, it works much better during the day than it would have at night much of the Night Stalker or Night Slasher's attack on Ingrid in the hospital was cut for pacing and content. The deaths of the janitor and nurse were originally shown on screen, and the Night Slasher was also meant to kill the police officer guard and Ingrid. Two later scenes, Cobretti and Gonzalez taking Ingrid out of the hospital and Cobretti talking to Monty originally included mentions of the officer's death. They, these were cut to avoid continuity errors, but as a result, the editing in both scenes is choppy. And much of David Rash's role was cut in the final version in the behind-the-scenes documentary. An additional scene featuring him is shown to be filmed. The body count was 52, 41 of which are from Cobra. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking awesome. Now, is that in the version we saw or the uncut version? Uh, the, the theatrical. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> the custom 1950 Mercury driven by Cobretti in the film was actually owned by Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. The studio produced stunt double. The, the studio produced stunt doubles of the car for use in some action sequences, such as the jump from the second floor of the parking garage. Yeah, I think at, they said there was three. I, I read there was three different ones. They some one, were made specifically to make like sharp turns. Right, right, right. At one point during filming, Stallone complained to Rick Waite that they were falling behind in filming and said that he and his crew needed to work harder. Waite responded by saying it was, if Stallone gets his hands off Brigitte Nielsen's ass and stops showing <laughs> off to his bodyguards, maybe they wouldn't have been, they, maybe they wouldn't have problems with time. Stallone was shocked that someone would talk to him that way, so he turned down his ego for a few weeks. In an interview, Wade said that Stallone had a great sense of humor despite his large ego. He also confirmed a rumor that Stallone was the true director of the film, calling credited director George P. Cosmatos a good producer but a bad director. <laughs> I think that's also the word. I, I know it's the word on Tombstone. They say that Kurt Russell directed most of that, if not all of it. And um, I think that was also the word on Rambo. Rambo too. Yeah. The Here's same thing the happened thing, with the same director in Rambo 2. Here's the thing, though. This like, guy was a fucking puppet for Stallone. But see, there's a part of me that finds that hard to believe, and here's why. I mean, and the I DP's it fucking saying it, dude. What's that? The DP is saying it. I know. It. No, no, look. And it's <laughs> definitely... The, the, ev the evidence is overwhelming, and I'm just going to put on blinders and like pretend I don't see any of that. You're and here's in the denial, reason, my friend. Here's the reason. I'm definitely in denial, and here's the reason why. You watch those three movies. Right. They all look like they came from the same person. And they're all well, different they DPs. It's not like it was Rick Waite doing all three of these movies. So I find it hard to believe that Stallone and Russell's vision would have aligned so closely. I'm not saying they didn't direct parts of it. I'm not saying that. But the fact that, like, he just kind of sat back and, like, you know, drank coffee while they were doing all the heavy lifting, it doesn't make sense to me because the three movies, if you look at them, they look like the work of the same guy to me. Um, and I say this, and, and this, is, <laughs> this is another, this is a sore point, another thing where people are not going to like me after I say this. I'm one of those people, and you and I have had this discussion before, I believe that Steven Spielberg directed Poltergeist. And a big part of that is because of the way the movie looks. It looks like every other movie Steven Spielberg made between 1976 and 1984. 
It just looks like the work of the same guy. Uh -huh. Toby Hooper never made anything that looked remotely like that. Um, it's the same thing here. These three movies look like the work of the same guy. So I find it hard to believe that Stallone and Russell directed a majority of these movies. Again, it's probably true. I just don't want to believe it. Fair enough. I mean, you also left out Leviathan. Another film I never saw directed. Leviathan. See, I can't weigh on that. I haven't seen that. And I want to because like, I'm, Peter I'm, Weller probably directed that yes. one too. <laughs> right. Everybody who started it. Right? And I, I just watched for the first time this year on Deadly Ground, also starting starring Peter Weller, directed by uh, Cosmatos. And I like that. And it, again, it looked like an early version of what the guy, he has a very big, like bold visual style. And um, and I, I can't Leviathan aside because I haven't seen it. The other movies that I all like from him all look similar. I got a feel that that's coming from somewhere. Um, it just seems odd to me that you know whoever's getting credit for directing on Deadly Ground and whoever gets credit for directing Leviathan and Stallone and Kurt Russell all had the same visual acuity. That just that stretches incredulity to me like that just doesn't make sense so it makes more sense that that one guy did them that's all the knife used by the night slasher character was made for the film by knife designer herman schneider sylvester stallone all had asked schneider to create a knife that audiences would never forget the knife was so sharp that night the night slasher actor brian thompson would often cut himself by accident one of these moments was caught on film in which he tested the blade on his hand while saying the girl is mine Brian Thompson and Sylvester Stallone had not spoken to each other in over 20 years after the film was made <laughs> until they recently met at a horse riding academy where Thompson's daughter was actually given Stallone's daughter riding lessons. When Sylvester Stallone was not on set, George P. Cosmatos acted like a tyrannical person to the cast and crew, which rubbed many people the wrong way, including Brian Thompson, who Cosmatos said to him, if you had listened to me, You'd have, you'd have a better performance, which he didn't take too kindly to. Thompson referred to him as a pale chin smoker, a pale chain smoker. When Stallone was on, when he was on set, he was in fact literally directing the film with Cosmatos <laughs> acting as an on-set director. Stallone literally mapped out and planned a lot of the shots, including the speech where Brian Thompson calls Cobra a pig. Stallone said to him, for your close-up, I want you to drink as much water as you can so we can see your spit on camera. Cosmatos would just agree with Stallone with everything he wanted to do and stayed out of his way. Most of the, 90s, most of the 80s action heroes were named John. John Rambo, John Matrix, John McClane. The hero of this film is named Marion after John Wayne, whose birth name was Marion Robert Morrison. The epitome of the, of the cinematic tough guy who also who who was who also often played characters called John, John Bernard Brooks, John Chisholm, John T. Chance. Oddly enough, Stallone worked with Wayne's alleged grandnephew, Tommy Morrison, in Rocky V, where he played Tommy Gunn. During the final confrontation fight with Stallone and Brian Thompson, Stallone accidentally hit Thompson in the jaw with the butt of his gun he was holding and left him dazed and groggy. The stunt crew, led by Terry Leonard and Thompson's stunt double, huddled around Thompson to hide the fact that he had been really hurt. Thompson ended up with a bruise on his right cheek that hurt for several days. So the copy I have of the DVD that I watched last night, it's a 
It's one of my favorite possessions because it's that and Tango and Cash and one of those shitty, like, you know, oh, nice. collections. Yeah, it's two, two of my favorite movies. Nice. And on it, on the Cobra, it has uh, a behind the scenes, like a 15 minute behind the scenes. Yeah, yeah, of course, like from the DVD and, days. Yeah. And it's like, you know, shitty, like ripped from VHS quality. It's pretty bad. But it, um, it shows them like blocking out that scene and, and Stallone with the, the gun in his hand, pretending that, you know, walking through it, rehearsing it, pretending to hit um, Thompson with the gun. So it's, it's right. funny, not funny. It's interesting to mm-hmm. hear that he actually heard him doing that scene. For Night Slasher's monologue in the final confrontation with Cobra, Brian Thompson did the scene with a script girl because Sylvester Stallone was off watching a basketball game on television. <laughs> Brian Thompson auditioned seven times for his role before he was hired on his fourth audition. Remember, seven times. This is only the fourth one. He met Stallone, and both he and the director thought that Thompson was too nice to play the role of the Night Slasher. But after a screen test, he immediately got the job. Thompson repeatedly asked Stallone about his character Night Slasher, like how Stallone would want Thompson to play him, character's background, his reasons for doing what he's doing, but Stallone wasn't interested in explaining Thompson's character, and he basically told him that he was evil because he is evil. It is an unfortunate surprise for Thompson while filming the movie was while filming of the movie was finished, director George Cosmatos told Thompson, You could have been good if you had listened I told you about that if you listened yeah. to me. Um um, yeah, poor guy got typecast because of like you mentioned it is kind of intense look and it sounds like he like takes acting seriously it's kind of sad that maybe he didn't get a chance to like have one of those like a good dramatic role he just kind yeah. of always is, is a that guy instead because again i think he got typecast for her death scene lee garlington actually rehearsed with a stunt person for 45 minutes prior to shooting the scene with stallone shooting the scene with stallone when stallone and his entourage showed up. She asked him if they could rehearse the scene a couple of times since she was a big girl at the time in which Stallone was do your best. And Garlington would jump on Stallone twice, knocking him down both times and looking a bit embarrassed with no reaction from the cast or crew. She does it a third time with Stallone staggering as she's on top of him. He breaks out into laughter among the crew and decides to rehearse the scene with her. Lee Garlington felt a little ostracized from the rest of the cast since Stallone barely talked to her. However, when reshoots occurred about two weeks later, Stallone sat with her during lunch and felt much better and understood why he had been ignoring understood why he had been ignoring her. She said it was the greatest conversations he's ever had. Uh, one more. The fo- the Canon logo does not appear anywhere during the film's opening or closing credits or in any publicity materials. The film even ends like a traditional canon film, with the film's title frozen in the middle of the screen after the credits have been stopped rolling, but does not have the usual canon logo underneath of it. Um, Producers received only the production credit for the film, reportedly because it was primarily a Warner Brothers production that gave them a producer credit in return for avoiding a prior agreement the canon group had with Stallone. And that is that. Let's now take a little walk to the critics' corner and see what they all had to think about the film. Well, they loved it. (laughs) They did, didn't they? Um... 
got a Rotten Tomato score of 18% based off of 22 reviews with a consensus that says a disengaged Stallone plays the titular Cobra with no bite in this leading action thriller, queasily fixated on the wonton carnage and nothing else. It's got a meta score of 25 based off of 9 reviews, a cinema score of B. Now let's hear what Cisco and Ebert had to say about the film. Also new on the video shelves this week is Sylvester Stallone's Dirty Harry imitation Cobra, which had a terrific opening scene. The Stallone is a Dirty Harry type cop, blew away a creep in a supermarket. Your disease, and I'm the cure. Die! Drop it! But then the film ran downhill with endless chases that show you 50 ways to leave your motorcycle. noise but it's boring very boring and that's a shame because this film started out like a powerhouse then i think the audience sensed that stallone really didn't have anything to say in this film that clint eastwood and his company the director don siegel didn't say better 15 years earlier in dirty harry one of the things that's disappointing about stallone is that he really hasn't realized that potential that he showed in his early pictures to be an actor who was able to combine tenderness and humor and a real screen presence with violence here he could just as well be some animated hero on some Saturday morning kitty show for all of the depth that he has. No depth at all, just a lot of firepower. Siskel went on to further elaborate comparing Cobra to Dirty Harry when giving the film two and a half stars and summarizing it as Filthy Harry. He wrote, whereas Clint Eastwood simply would have squinted at Robinson, Stallone takes a more violent approach. Maybe that's the difference between actors. Eastwood can can be drawl. Stallone often crosses the border to primeval. That doesn't even make sense. Like I understand the like the prime, like like Stallone's kind of like uh, you know almost uh, like a beast. Like he you know he's big and muscular and doesn't talk a lot. But the Dirty Harry would have squinted at Robinson. Literally makes zero <laughs> fucking sense because Dirty Harry kills Robinson at right. the end of Dirty Harry by shooting him with the fucking 44 Magnum. Like, that criticism doesn't even make sense. Like, what do you... I understand comparing the two movies. They, they share a similarity. I get that. But, like, that's the dumbest fucking comparison. It doesn't... It just, again, doesn't make sense. Well, that's why it's Siskel and not Eves. Mm. But Eves didn't love it either. No, he didn't. Uh, Nina Darton from the New York Times said that the film pretends to be against the wanton violence of a, dis, a disintegrated, disintegrated society, but it's really the hypothesis of that violence. It shows such contempt for the most basic American values. Uh, Vincent Canby from the New York Times called it disturbing for the violence it portrays, the ideas it represents, and the large number of people who undoubtedly go see it and cheer on its dangerous hero. Sheila Benson from the LA Times panned the film, they all did, saying Cobra's pretentious emptiness, its dumbness, its two-faced morality make it a movie that begs to be laughed off. 
Variety magazine called it a sleek, extremely violent, and exciting police thriller and compared Cobra favorably to Rocky and Rambo. And finally, director Nicholas Winding Refn is a huge <laughs> fan of Cobra. In his cult film Drive, the main character has a toothpick in his mouth in some scenes, but Cobra has a match in his mouth, isn't it? I thought that he had yeah, a match yeah, in his it, yeah, no, it's it, it's that, like yeah, it's not a literal. Um, okay, I got gotcha, you. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Cobra has a match. This is reference or homage to the opening scene where Stallone has a matchstick in his mouth. Okay, I didn't read. I should have read further. The main star of the film, Ryan Gosling, also said in interviews that he is a fan of Stallone and Cobra, which is why he borrowed the character's toothpick habit from Cobra. Yeah, like judging this movie as a critic, I, I, I like that Nicholas Winding Refn thing. That, that was interesting to find out. Um, which makes sense to me because again, Cobra is a fucking incredible looking movie, so it makes sense that he's like drawn to that. Yeah, yeah, even, visually, even when his movies yeah. are bad, Nicholas Winding Refn, they look good at least, you know. So mm-hmm. I think he's probably drawn to the visual sense of it. Um, but like, so okay, if I'm a professional critic and I'm watching this movie, like 10 minutes in, I'm like, all right, I gotta throw out the like. Well, the script doesn't make sense, and uh, the lead performance, and the, you know this and that. Like, you got to watch this movie on a different level. And I, I think critics yeah. were slow to that, at least, especially in the eighties. Um, critics are too uptight. They're just yes, doing their job, especially in the eighties and like you know the the nineties and all the decades before that. When they when people try not try because I agree when people made film a serious art worthy of. Um, you know, serious study and criticism. Um, But you got to know what, you know, I mean, come on, not every fucking movie falls under the same rubric. You don't, you know, am I going to look at Cobra the same way I'm going to look at Citizen Kane? It's fucking stupid. It's beyond (laughs) silly. So you watch Cobra and 10 minutes in, you know what you're getting, you shut off your brain and you go, all right, let me, let me see what's good about it. And if you find nothing good about it, okay, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Um, but to, to judge it through that typical critical lens is just to miss the point. And, um, you know, I don't know, whatever. To each their own. People are entitled to their opinion, I guess. What do I know? All right, well, that's what they all thought about the film. Now let's talk about what we thought about the film in the form of pros and cons. Robin, get me my legal pad. It's pros and cons time! (laughs) So with the pros, uh, I hope you like action films with wild action stunt work because this film (laughs) is floored with it and I love every ounce of it. The humor works as well with the dialogue. Um, it's, It's a truly funny film. Um, and I, I enjoy the camaraderie between Cobra and Gonzalez that, that, that all ties into the chemistry, um, you know, between Ronnie Santoni, Santoni and, and, uh, Sebastian Stallone, uh, we talked about that numerous times in this episode already, and it works for its time because it's a canon film through and through. So if you love canon films, which if you're listening to this episode, how can you not, then yeah this this movie is right up there with the best of them um i don't think i left anything else out i mean brian thompson being uh playing a memorable villain at least to me he's memorable um yeah there's a lot of good stuff in this movie i mean we if, if i left if i left anything out 
chances are it was brought up already during the main conversation. We we talked a lot about this movie today, so I think we covered a lot of ground. So those are my pros. Though. What are yours? Yeah, I don't know. It's I, I could point out so many things. I love this movie so much. Um, the the directing, the cinematography, directing regardless of who directed it, the cinematography, um, the chemistry between the characters, not just Stallone and Santoni, which is great, um, and it's probably the the highlight. But you know, just Stallone and, and Nielsen had some nice moments. Um, everybody gives a good performance you know for this movie nobody's going to walk away with any awards but for this kind of movie everybody's perfect like everything just like works really well um and some of the characters are incredibly underwritten or at least you know didn't survive the edits um and are still entertaining so um yeah the performances the look of it uh the pace I love that it's under 90 minutes. Like, again, I definitely making it a point to see the over two hour version. But in the end, I think the nine, you know, what is it? 88 minutes. That version of it is what would end up being my preferred version. But just for curiosity, I want to see a, an over two hour version. It just, you know, it's just paced really well. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't say enough good about it. We've, we've said a lot of good things about it. You know. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Alright, moving on to the cons I wrote a couple down uh, Some of the material doesn't exactly hold up In 2023 um, It's not really a personal con of mine It's just the way I would think most mm -hmm. people uh, Would see it overall um, This one I did write down for me though Brigitte Nielsen's inexperienced acting With her wooden delivery of lines Leaves a lot to be desired Not a fan of her work in this movie Or in general as an actress <laughs> um, I mean, now you're a big Beverly Hills Cop 2 fan. Is she good in that? She is passable. A lot of her stuff in that movie works because she's not the main villain. She's like the number two. Yeah. To um, 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 what's his name? Jurgen, German German actor. Jurgen Prankow. Das Boot. Yeah, Jurgen Prancho or Bra whatever his name is. Yeah. Um. Jurgen, by the way. Jer yeah, 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 yeah. And, and also, there's a lot of villains in part two because Dean Stockwell is also part of the mm -hmm. villain cast. And she has this operation. And her her character is just this really tall, mysterious, you know, villainess. And it, I think she's good for the role because it... it she doesn't have a lot of dialogue and stuff like that so you know it's it's she's she's fine mm -hmm. um i just watched red sonya for the first time i think last I year i seen that i used to watch that a lot when yeah, i was a somehow kid. i missed that girl and i was always aware of it and i just, it always had a really bad rep so i was like oh fuck this and like it was I haven't wasn't seen until it in like i got 25, older than 30 years I, yeah it wasn't until i got older that i started to seek out movies with a really bad rep so like mm -hmm. as a kid it had a bad rep and i'm like oh fuck i'm not wasting my time on that and then I watched it last year, and look, it's not great by any means, but it's not nearly as bad as everybody says. It's it's a passable movie, you know. I, I don't know that I'll ever watch it again, but I didn't ask for the ninety minutes back either. It was fine. All right. Um, con, uh, did you just go with your cons? Uh, con, are we on con? No, we're cons on cons now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm so, done with my cons. Yeah. 
my only con, um, well, it's not the only, well, I don't know, maybe this ties in, but definitely the cult. Like, they just didn't make sense. Um, oh, yeah, I should have wrote that down too. But again, it's in my mother's with- moment, so. Yeah, my just, issue with the cult, the, yeah, which yeah, we talked just, about. So we talked about they just were, and the thing is, no, never. Mind. I'm not even going to go into what I was thinking. But the cult <laughs> is is my my con. And then again, we talked about it. The scene where um, I forget the woman cops, the the woman cult member Nancy, name, Nancy, where she's on the phone and like again, it's set up so Stallone is on to her like that's what we're kind of led to believe and then when she turns he's like completely taken aback by it even though he didn't like her it's that i could you know what i'm jumping ahead that'll be my mulligan movement but the cult in general is my con that that's the only thing i don't like about this movie is just how ill-defined the cult is all right well move on now to the mulligan moment the things we would change if we were granted one mulligan if you had to do it all over again would you make the same choices yeah this call thing like I would definitely open it up as to I would dive into like the why about this call like what are the real motivations and why is it happening? And like, I get it. Like you want change. You want this new world order. Everyone's weak, you know, bow down. I, I understand all that, but I, I don't at the same time. Like <laughs> there's questions. There's a lot of areas that are just blank that just need to be filled. That, that just, yeah, there's a lot of holes in this cult that I would like to see filled up. So I would like to, you know, touch upon that. If I could change one thing, it would be just change this cult in general and change, give it an actual meaning or something. Like, I don't know. It's just a lot of vague terminology. Um, just a lot of shit left to be desired. I don't know. It's just underwhelming. So, yeah. We need to know more about this cult. That's all. So if I could rewrite something, I would do that. I would, I would let, let the audience know. I would let the audience in more on this cult and their motivations and, and everything else. Because right now, like you and I have been talking about, it's just one big fat fucking blur. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, that's my mulligan moment though. Yeah, mine, I, again, I could go into the whole cult thing. That should be better written. But specifically, like the whole Nancy thing, either you're on to the fact that she's a rat <laughs> or you're not. Like, you can't have it both ways. It doesn't make right. sense that way. So, like, just straighten that out one way or the other. That that's that probably annoys me more than anything else. I think I, I understand the cult thing underlying. Um but the Nancy thing is just inexcusable. That that needs to be better done. All right. Finger looking good. Our favorite moments of the film. <laughs> Finger licking good. You know, the hospital sequence, because it shows that this cult will stop at nothing to silence any threat that they see to their message. That's the horror in the film. To me, that's, that's I, I appreciate anything horror related. And there's, you know, that's, there's kind of a lot Halloween of, there's too. A, yeah, there's a lot of genres kind of blended into this movie yes. all at once. And yes. 
me being the horror avid that I the avid horror fan that I am, like the whole cult, the message and everything, um, the, 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 the not not their message, but like show just the, the fact the, that it'll it's stop a cult. at nothing. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and there's no end in sight, and they could be anywhere, and it's just I don't know. I love that. So yeah, the hospital sequence because it, it displays that full through and through. So. You're up. Yeah, I'm with you that uh, not the hospital scene specifically, but just the blending of the genres is one of the things I really noticed like hard mm-hmm. last night and just really leaned into. I'm like, wow, man, like this is doing the whole sleazy early 80s, you know, direct, not necessarily direct the video, but like definitely didn't get a wide theatrical release. Just those those kind of movies that we went and rented. Um, yeah, the class movies. Yes, it does that really well. The action stuff, which again, I I uh, didn't hold in high regard until last night. And I'm like, no, this action stuff really is well done. So it's it's a just a beautifully done action movie. Um, but the thing I uh, like the yeah, horror movie, like you mentioned, best like scenes though, like the opening scene is just amazing. I love that scene. And um, the car chase, which, you know, I, I didn't really have, other than the scene where they're jumping the hills, that's the one part about that car chase I always remembered. But watching it last night, again, it, a lot of the fish the fish-eyed angles, um, just just weird shots, um, the, the scene, the, the car, the specially made car that jumps out of the second story of the parking garage like there's a lot of really nice action action uh movie shots that have criminally gone uh unappreciated in the larger uh, you know like movie going culture i think this is this is really an underrated car chase scene so the car chase and the uh the opening supermarket scene all right where we at here Movie MVPs, all right. All right, now you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. The most valuable player is... Funny enough, this was the only category I left blank because I'm still not 100% on who I would put as my MVP. I mean, I guess it's Stallone. But then again, I was also talking about how memorable Brian Thompson always has been to me in this movie. So maybe it's him. Maybe it's both. Um, you know what? I think I'm going to go based on memory alone and how I often remember this film for. And that is Brian Thompson's creepy-ass night slasher vic- or villain character. Um, it's an effective job that he does. You know, I'm, I'm still dwelling on it all these years later and it's still memorable uh character one that i often look at and and always have and he's got the distinctive look like we talked about you know just for reasons that we already mentioned throughout the episode in different segments and different parts um my mvp is going to brian thompson there i have an answer yeah i got no problem with that that's a good pick um, but I'm going to go, there's so many ways you could go with this movie. Rennie Santoni would have been, I think, a worthwhile pick. Stallone, obviously. Um, I'm going to come a little bit out of left field, though. 
my MVP, and I realized it watching it last night, about ten minutes into the movie, is Rick Waite. It's just a okay. fucking yeah. gorgeous movie. Um, we didn't talk about the scene. You, you mentioned the scene, but not the, just how good it looks. The scene on the rooftop, um, relatively early in the film, when Cobra and uh, Santoni meet up with uh, the captain Al- in chief and Robinson and Monty. Monty, that's yes, right. and they're having that conversation. Like that almost looks like a Michael Mann movie. Like yeah. The, the, the the skyscrapers in the background like towering over the shot it's just it's like out of thief or something yes it's so beautifully filmed mm-hmm. and like that's what i noticed last time i'm like wow this is a really fucking good looking movie i kind of always knew it had individual shots that have stuck with me but it's pretty consistent it's not like a shot here and then you got to wait 15 minutes and a shot there and then another half an hour a shot mm-hmm. there right it's consistent throughout the entire movie um and like I said earlier, I think if this just had kind of a generic standard 80s exploitation uninspired look to it, it, it would be a fairly forgotten movie. But I think part of the reason why it's so beloved is just that it looks cool as fuck. It's just good to look at, regardless of what nonsense is going on, because the script is atrocious. Um, but it just looks amazing. And that's, you know, again, I, I think a lot of that is probably Cosmatos. I, I think he's undervalued probably. Um, but Rick Waite, that cinematography is just amazing. One of the better looking action movies. All right, before we get out of here, let's talk about the film's history and physical media. On September 20th of 1986, Brothers released the film on VHS. And then in 98, it was released on DVD from Warner Brothers in the old snapback DVD cases. Remember those? That just concluded an audio commentary track from the director, George P. Cosmatos. Uh, Warner Brothers put out the film on Blu-ray for the first time on August 16th of 2011. Hey, that was my birthday. Uh, including just the, the carryover commentary, if it even had that. Um, the real edition, the most recent edition to be released, uh, January 22nd, 2019, Scream Factory acquired this title, and they put out their own collector's edition Blu-ray, and that has a whole slew of brand-new special features featuring interviews, um, trailers, just new stuff too when I say interviews like these are new brand new recorded interviews uh, with Brian Thompson Marky Rodriguez Andrew Robinson Lee Garlanden and Art LaFleur before he passed away it also includes vintage featurettes so you're getting all kinds of f- features that were never included on this for any uh, format of this film uh, teaser theatrical trailers still galleries I never understood the purpose of still galleries I mean Maybe initially when they came out that way, way back when DVDs had that that feature. But even back then, I personally found still galleries to be just, I don't know, boring. Just a waste of space, maybe. Um, just never connected with me. I don't know. I guess different strokes, different folks. And unfortunately, the film has yet to have a 4K release. But something tells me that Screen Factory is working on that. And we will see that rectified within the next year or two. Just a personal... Just a, a personal prediction, that's all. And yeah, that's the history of the film's physical media. 
On to the final effect. All right, well, final category, final effect rating. How would you rate this one, Miles? Double feature pairing. Yeah, we made a great pair. All right, I'm going to give this three and a half stars. Closer to four than three. This movie just cuts right to the chase. Doesn't fuck around for a single second. You've got one satisfying action scene after another, and it continues like clockwork until the end credits begin to roll. It truly is a canon film through and through. It's relentless. It's unapologetic. It can be humorous when it wants to be, but ultimately, it's a first-rate action thriller from an era where movies like this ruled the roost. Looking back at 35-odd years later, it still delivers on the goods, and it's still the satisfying, high-octane film I've always remembered it to be. Yeah, I get the film also suffered from egotistical behind-the-scenes political drama, but don't most films like this, though? In the end, it's not going to change my opinion on the final product that I've always been accustomed to watching because... You know, for reasons that we've already got into, you know, I wouldn't expect any less from the Italian Stallion, Judge, <laughs> Jury, and Executioner, Philly's favorite son, Mr. Sylvester Stallone, everyone. Yeah. And I'm pairing this up. Are you kidding me? I'm sticking with Slick Stallone here and giving this a one for one with the underrated buddy cop ride known as Tango and Cash. <laughs> 280 Stallone bangers for the price of one. What could be better? Passing it on to you. And with the DVD I have, I could do that. I almost did it last night. Like, I watched this late, so it was like, if I had another movie... I gotta watch fucking... Doesn't doesn't, um, Faultenheimer do the music for that, too? I believe so. Beverly Hills Cop, Faultenheimer. If not, it's somebody who's doing an incredible facsimile of his style. I think it is is. I think it is him specifically. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and you said it, it's, it's funny when it wants to be. I also think it's funny when it doesn't want to be. It's just a fucking <laughs> consist. It's a funny movie from start to finish. Like yeah. I laugh. I just have such a great time literally from the opening credits. Like I said, the beautiful uh, red on black credits get me fucking pumped up. Then the voiceover, I'm like, uh, we're going to see some bat shit stuff here. The, the gun with the cobra on the handle like it just starts <laughs> it's you know it hits the ground running and, and just doesn't let up that's why as much as i want to see it i think the two hour plus version is probably a little bit of a slog um but this is perfection this is exactly what i want my 80s movie to be um again developed a new appreciation for the action itself uh developed a new appreciation for the underlying political shit that i read into it um developed a new appreciation for rick waits photography <laughs> um the only thing i don't like the only thing that keeps me from giving it five stars because i did originally i gave it five stars and then the more i thought about it, i'm like the cult thing i'm hung up on that it's just it's the weakest part of the story and yep. it, it keeps it from being a perfect film um, I can't say it's a perfect film if, if I've gone off on the cult thing as much as I have. So with that in mind, I give it four and a half stars. All right. Double feature pairing. Oh, double feature. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to go <clears throat> again, viewing this as like a really beautifully done exploitation movie that somehow got released through Warner brothers. It's not like a low budget. Um, I thought I'd pair it with with an actual low budget exploitation movie and go with uh, Vice Squad from I believe it's 1982. 
Yeah. With uh, Wingshauser, uh, Season Hubley, and I forget the dude's name. But Vice Squad is great. Oh, my God. It's one of my favorite early 80s exploitation movies. Um, a lot of the grime and the violence that got apparently cut out of Cobra it's there in vice squad so it's a real sleazy fucking flick um I, I love it really well done actually shot again it's the reason it's so good or, or maybe the main reason it's so good is that it was filmed by an actual photographer um i forget the guy's name i am not doing didn't do my homework but i remember it's a guy who shot a bunch of kubrick flicks like he shot barry linden and uh i believe the shining and uh clockwork orange so you know it's got a really good look to it and it's just fucking repugnant it's great it's my two favorite things it's, it's a combination of high art and just low sleaze Th those are often my favorite movies which, which by the way i think cobra is, is an example of that um it's really technically well made and it's just a sleazy piece of shit. I love that combination. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this nice little episode on the 1986 cult classic Cobra from director Sylvester Stuck. I mean, <laughs> George Cosmatos, a film that's for sure getting our full film effects of approval, one down, many more to follow. If this was your first time with us, then we hope you stick around for the long haul. And remember that positive word of mouth goes a long way. So if you enjoyed this episode, then consider leaving us a five-star rating and honest review on over at Apple, Spotify, Facebook, or simply by doing it through email, filmeffectpilot.gmail.com. In case you missed any important announcements or you just want to stay on the know, Film Effect Pilot on Twitter, the Film Effect Podcast, everywhere else. And as we wrap up the show for all of 2023, don't forget to join us one last time as the entire Film Effect crew gets the band back together for a very special end-of-the-year edition of Fewercast. Yeah, we'll be, be looking back at 2023 and ahead to 2024, which we have a lot to reveal as it pertains to the forthcoming podcast plans. That episode will drop right before New Year's, so be sure to be look so yeah, be sure to look out for it. And until then, I'm Ed. I'm Justin. And this has been another episode of the Film Effect Podcast. And now, a closing word from Sean. All right, gang. We're going to see you all again next time when those theater lights go dim and the opening credits begin to roll. Say the magic word. What magic word? Please.